1: Raging, Cajun Nation to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand and let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day
2: starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alloy! Alord! Ready! Oh! Oh! S-I-
1: I got one thing to say right here. Cajun win!
0: Ladies, gentlemen, children, age nation, welcome to another edition of the Region Review Podcast. I'm Jerry. I'm here with Nick. I'm here with Josh. Want to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day, and uh, hope you had a safe and happy Mardi Gras, guys. Are you guys? Are you all fully recovered from the weekend?
2: Yeah, man, I'm good. Um, you know, when you start drinking at seven and stop at four then you have a lot extra time to recover and you sleep. So you're not hungover the next day. So that is, if anybody was wondering the, the, the way you don't have a hangover, just start really early drinking and drink till about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And then you're good to go.
1: I went the family friendly route, didn't do anything too big. You know, the older you get the more, you, you, you learn things along the way, you change your habits. So I'm fine. I had a very productive Wednesday. I didn't get the ashes on my forehead, but that's not my style. But other than that, it's been good. Been a good day. Had a good Mardi Gras.
2: By the way, I, I had to wash the ashes off right before because when I popped on here, the guy who gave me mine apparently used a magic marker. And I mean, I had it across my entire forehead. So I had to do some cleaning up before getting on here. It was a little distracting.
1: No matter how many times you see it, it still catches you off guard. You know what I mean? Still, people have a big cross on their head, like, whoa. Yeah,
0: mine is still there. You can't really see it, though. The lady who did mine did a pretty good job, so it's not too, too noticeable, but you know it's still there. So anyway, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about what we did this weekend for Mardi Gras, but first to our sponsors.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks again for joining Rage and Review for another weekly episode. We'd just like to encourage you to patronize our great sponsors like Dr. Brett Venable and Recovery Cairo Med. Have you been in a car accident or hurt yourself lifting on the job? Are you having neck pain or back pain? but really don't want to deal with a long, drawn-out process, then call the chiropractor Asian Cajun athletes use for their neck and back pain, Dr. Brett Venable. The bottom line is, you just need to feel better. You need to get better quickly. That's where Dr. Brett Venable comes in to make all the difference. Dr. Venable and his integrated team of rehab, chiropractic, and medical doctors have three locations in Acadiana to serve you. Opelousas, New Iberia, and of course, main office in Lafayette. Dr. Brett Venable is one of very few chiropractors recognized by the state of Louisiana as a chiropractic specialist. He is also the only chiropractor in the Cajun's Healthcare Alliance and the only chiropractor on the board at Tulane School of Professional Advancement. Before you start to stress about the process, remember, this is exactly why you pay for car insurance. These situations are exactly why you carry Workman's Comp. There's no need for a court date. Your first call should be to Dr. Brett Venable and his great team at Recovery Cairo Med. No hassle, no waiting, and quick relief. Come and find out what our raging Cajun athletes and over 10,000 Acadiana residents already know. For more information, call the Lafayette office at 337-988-2188 or visit recoverychiromed.com, recoverychiromed.com. We'd like to thank Dr. Brett Venable for being an RCAF member and the exclusive chiropractic sponsor of the Raging Review podcast. Also, a huge thank you to Absolutely Embroidery & More. We know how much Cajun Nation loves their gear. At Raging Review, we get our gear from Ms. Phyllis Thibodeau and the team at Absolutely Embroidery & More. Absolutely has a massive inventory of Raging Cajun apparel to choose from. If you can't find something you like, Absolutely can make something you'll like right there in the shop. And if your creation proves to be a popular item with customers, Absolutely will give you a little incentive for helping out with the cause. Bring in your vermilion and white shirts, hats, shorts, socks, dresses, jackets, sweaters, or whatever garment you need to represent the Cajuns. Absolutely also offers customized embroidery services to promote your business on hats, polos, uniforms, etc., absolutely rounds out the collection with an assortment of exciting accessories for the lady cajuns in your life earrings headbands bracelets clutches and bags are just a few options to complete her spicy look pass by 3010 collie saloon roan in lafayette and see the wonderful ladies at absolutely embroidery and more today they'll treat you to quality cajun clothing complimentary gourmet cookies and a friendly conversation and if you're an out-of-town raging cajun Visit them on the web at absolutelyembroideryandmore.com or visit their social channels on Instagram or Facebook. There, you'll find pictures of what the ladies are putting on the shelves in real time. Once again, folks, please support local businesses and please support businesses that support the Raging Cages and especially the Raging Review Podcast.
0: And they hear it, folks. Once again, thanks to Dr. Brent Venable, Recovery Chiromet, as well as Absolutely Embroidery and more. Of course, they're local, so please support local as they support local by supporting the pod. Also, not to mention, Crew Allong. The purpose of the Crew Allong exists to enhance the experience of Raging Cajun student-athletes and provide experiences for them to connect with our engaging and enthusiastic fan base. They help student athletes monetize their aim, image and likeness through experiences and connections in the community. Those experiences will connect our, the UL student athletes to your families and business. And the mission of the crew raises funds and makes connections to provide a, a name, image and likeness opportunities for UL student athletes, whether it's two dollars, twenty dollars, two hundred dollars or twenty thousand dollars. Any amount is helpful to the Kurlam, the official Raging Cajun and IL Collective. So once again, guys, I uh, want to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day. Um, hopefully, the day of recovery was good for all of you uh, out there listening. I know it's been it was a long weekend, but it was a fun weekend for everybody. Uh, Nick, you came to town, got to experience. Uh, Cajun Mardi Gras down in Mamou on Mardi Gras Day from sunrise to sunset Josh you were out on the parade ride all weekend with the with the wife and the little ones and uh, I was in New Orleans uh, getting the chance to ride the crew of Endymion um, on Saturday so uh, we were able to provide a lot of footage to a lot of fans out there to kind of show uh, the true Mardi Gras experience uh, just talk a little bit about your experiences this weekend and um, what what you got out of it
2: I don't remember Um it was a lot of drinking, a lot of chicken chasing, a lot of fun, man. I always enjoy that. That's one of my favorite times of the year. So yeah, it was. It was just a lot of fun. Um, I I couldn't send you videos because I didn't actually have my phone on me. I <laughs> I left it in my in my vehicle because and I do that every year. I, well, I don't. I want to experience like when I go to a concert. I don't bring my phone. I always want to experience it, and I don't want to be one of those people that's holding up a phone the whole time. So I did that again, and it was good times. I mean, I've got some from past years, and they're a little crazy. But no, it, it was a fun time. And and by the way, Josh, appreciate the video you sent me and my brother on the float. See, don't tell him. I, I don't. I mean, he might be watching. He he might have a pretty good arm from what I've seen. Some still has some accuracy. He was very proud of the throw when I sent him that video. Uh, but uh, yeah, don't tell him I
1: said that. <laughs> Coach Doke can still sling it. He hit me. Uh, I mean, he hit me a couple of times. So. It wasn't by it wasn't by mistake he said uh, he was pissed off because he missed some people earlier but he said yeah
2: for the most part I I, I hit it I, I still got it
1: <laughs> oh yeah he, he hooked us up uh no man I'm you know again as you get older you do different things I gotta tell you the only thing we wanted to do and didn't really get a chance to do was check the uh Indians out at Pontiac Point Mardi Gras morning I've been wanting to do that and apparently they they really dress very similar to Zulu The Indians are very similar. So I've not done that before, and I wanted to do it. But Monday, Big Cat and I went on his first bow hunt. So we slept in Mardi Gras morning, and I wasn't about to make him get up. So we missed that. Other than that, I think we made every parade. We braved the the crew, the champ parade, the dog parade in the rain. Uh, We saw our buddies from Mid-City and and adopted dog in that, whatever that like turn-of-the-century war machine is that he has. Have you guys seen this truck that he has? This thing is like, it's like a, it's an old form truck, a, a mutant form truck. I mean, this is all hopped up. He's got like 44 inch wheels on it. They were all sitting back there with the mid city flag on there and uh, they threw us a bunch of stuff. Really cool. Uh, very sparse, obviously, because of the rain. But I, I don't think we missed, we missed Lundy Gras night, obviously, because we weren't in town. But other than that, we went to pretty much everything. Rio delivered as it usually does. Bonaparte was fantastic, as usual. Uh, you know, little dabble. We, we, watched in front of the neighborhood, and then we went over by the French house across from the now-deserted Burger King, uh, which is uh, a Friends of ours that's been their spot for years. So we went and hung out there. Um, we didn't really walk the route like we did last year. Uh, and last year, we rock, walked the route more than ever half. Uh, but that's a cool way to experience it. We stayed on Johnson most of the time, but hit the parade, uh, not the parade, the uh, fairgrounds, watched Little Nate on two Fridays ago. Uh, right? Is that two Fridays ago? Last Friday night. We watched Little Nate and the music was great. Little Nate's always great live. Uh, obviously, UL alum, uh, adjunct professor, I believe now, and teaching music at, at the university. So, I mean, he just he just actually released a new album. So, go out and support Little Nate Williams, one of our personal favorites, Pod's favorites. Uh, did the fair Sunday for Super Bowl. We went to the Cajuns basketball game. Me and you know a couple other hundred people, and uh, then we hit the, we hit the fairgrounds, and I mean it was. It was a great time to go. Because the the weather was dicey and it was also wristband night. So between the Super Bowl parties and the weather, I mean we didn't wait in line almost at all. Kids had a great time. We got our money's worth. Uh and those wristbands, man, it's quite the rip off if you don't know how to do it. So we we felt like we got it right this year. But uh but anyway, we had a great time. I, I mean I, I can't tell you if this, this is probably the best Mardi Gras I've ever had with the kids. They're older now. They can kind of decide what they want to do. It's not, you know, they can stay out a little bit later. You're not you're not risking the next day where they wake up and they're zombies. It's not like that anymore. So we got to, we were a little bit more nimble this year. So we bounced around and had some fun. Went to the Cruella Parade, which was, I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into it, but it, it was a little bit. Disappointing. I'll be honest with you. I I wish that we could have pushed that a little bit more. I thought the way we sold it was a little bit late. You saw Troy Troy Wingarder got involved later, and they kind of it kind of picked up some steam. We talked to John. He said they sold a couple of floats, uh, but the majority of the parade were just teams and administrators, and you know I didn't know what to expect. It's the first year, so you got to give them a little grace, you know. Uh, But if I had to guess, probably twenty four to thirty floats, maybe um, somewhere in there. Probably not 30, probably between 20 and 24 if I had to guess. Uh, but they rolled right along. They threw a few things. It was all right. It was fine. But we, we were able to check that out. And hopefully they, they continue to push that because year two, three, four, five, it'll grow. And it'll it'll become part of the culture and part of that Friday night or Saturday night experience. So we'll see. Um, I mean, look, all good. Uh, and I want to tell you guys, great job on the Kendall Rogers interview, standing ovation. Uh, listened this morning thought it was fantastic. Nick did a great job editing. Jared did a great job driving uh, It is my favorite episode and I'm still upset that I wasn't able to join. However, you guys did a fantastic job. So Mardi Gras was good uh, Kendall was good. I'm just ready for baseball season
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I got to tell you Josh. I uh, You know seeing the footage with you and your family. It looked like y'all had a blast on Johnson Street uh, Kayla and I were able to take Ali out yesterday on Mardi Gras day um, we got into New Orleans on Friday. I rode in Demian Saturday. That was an all-day thing. Uh got to the convention center probably around 11 and um we bo- loaded the buses at 1, got to City Park around 2. We actually we were on float 28, so we didn't start rolling till 6:30 even though the parade started at 4:15. Uh it took about 5 hours. I think we got into the convention center around 11, right at around 11. And then we stayed to watch Sting and Flowrider perform at the Extravaganza till around two. Got and got home. Didn't get to bed till about three thirty. And then we had to be up at seven because Allie woke up at seven. And uh, we basically had to pack up and head back to Lafayette on Sunday afternoon, uh, right before the Super Bowl. So it was a very busy two days, I must say. Um, the weather was great. We always kind of sweat. Uh, sweat it out before the parade starts on whether or not it's gonna rain. I mean regardless of if it rains or not unless it's a massive thunderstorm, you're still gonna ride. Uh, so that's we were able to uh, you know we, we were able to, to get a little bit a little bit lucky at the end. I think the last two days the, the chances of rain went down and actually the weather felt really good. So um, the crowd was great in New Orleans. the people were out there. We had a really good time. everybody was having a blast. Uh, really not much trouble, no drama on the route, which is always good. And um, it was a lot of fun. Great to see my family. Great to see my friends. Saw a bunch of people on the route that I knew. And uh, it was good. I always get my New Orleans Mardi Gras fill on Saturday. And then by Sunday, I'm ready to come home. And uh, yesterday, we went out on Johnson Street. And uh, I mean, you could not have asked for better weather on Mardi Gras Day yesterday on Johnston. And, you know, to see Allie, you know, Josh, you mentioned your kids, they're a little bit older. But, you know, Allie being two, she's still a little young, but at the same time, she's very aware of where she is. She had a blast. And uh, it was, you know, like my wife and I always say, when, when we see our little one have a good time, we have a good time. It's very fulfilling for us. And so, uh, met with some friends on Johnson Street along the barricades, caught some beads, danced to some music, and uh, got, our, got our Mardi Gras feel for the weekend. But uh, like you guys said, um, Mardi Gras was fun, but, you know, now it's time to turn it around. And in two days, first pitch at the Teague. So just a quick transition there for sure.
1: The greatest thing about the post-Mardi Gras blues is that opening days and two sleeps. So so that's good. You made a point about there not being too much drama. You know, Lafayette is usually pretty good about eliminating or, you know, minimizing the damage on the drama uh, part. Again, it's amazing to me how many people come out and how few issues there are. You know, it's just a kind of a testament to the community. And we had, you know, Skirmish here or there, a little bit of worse here and there. But overall, uh, you know, if I had to guess, it probably brings out anywhere from three hundred to four hundred thousand people over the course of, you know, week and a half, ten days. It's just amazing how we're able to deliver a good, mostly family friendly environment across Acadiana and and you know, the chicken run gets a little wild. But, you know, we hopped around, you know, again, like the vermilionville thing for the traditional Cajun Mardi Gras. All families, lots of people from out of town, lots of people from Canada and France were there. Uh, learning about our culture is just a completely different situation. I mean, it's French, but it's a totally other world. So got to meet some interesting people. And, and you know, Lafayette just always delivers, you know. It's been a long time since I've been to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Uh, I, I don't think I would I would want to be anywhere else than than Lafayette or, you know, some of those old traditional Cajun Mardi Gras chicken runs and, and cooties like that. So uh, once again, just the highlights, you know, take your kids out, learn about the, the culture, learn about the history it's it's interesting it's interesting when you take part
2: yeah the only the only parades I've been to in New Orleans were were when I was uptown and it wasn't on Mardi Gras Day like for instance in 2010 it was during the Super Bowl <laughs> right before the Super Bowl that was the most amazing parade to be at but but that's typically when I like to go to New Orleans is not on Mardi Gras Day but it's when some of those uh roll uptown and and that's a lot of fun to watch but I I'd rather die in a fire than be in New Orleans on Mardi Gras Day just not my thing man.
0: I'm gonna tell y'all I don't like we come home before that because usually on Mardi Gras day I've been you know a, a lot of times when I was little we'd go out of town but on Mardi Gras day we would go to the Rex parade uptown and then we'd go watch the old trucks parade which doesn't roll anymore and by that time you've seen parades I mean it, like the the consecutive days of parades in New Orleans yes you get parades weeks before but the Wednesday before Mardi Gras, you go all the way from Wednesday, then you have Thursday, then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesday. By Tuesday, you're worn out. I remember going down uptown the day after we roll on. We roll on Endymion on Saturday. We go uptown for the three parades, and then Bacchus. By the time Bacchus came, I was like, I'm ready to leave. I'm tired. <laughs> we're we're still worn out from the night before. And so, I mean, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. But by Mardi Gras day, it's just man, you're just so worn out. There's just so many parades that roll in in, one, in a span of five or six days that it's just you're just you're just tired.
2: Yeah, I don't remember what what crew or what parade it was that was running on the day of the Super Bowl in 2010. But I can tell you that was the fastest parade I've ever witnessed in my life. Those guys were going about 25 and throwing bags and just like, let's get this over with. You could also not find one blue or silver bead anywhere because we were playing the Colts. You could not find one blue or silver bead anywhere in in any of those things that were throwing. So it was a fun time, man. I, I missed that. I wish I could go back.
0: What's actually funny about that. So my uncle and I went to the Super Bowl, but we were in New Orleans that Saturday night and went to a few of the parades. And I just remember the city being on the highest of highs as far as emotion goes. I've never felt so much energy in the the city of New Orleans like I did the night before. And then we went to Harris and people were partying, doing random second lines in Harris. And uh, that was a fun time. To be down there, and oh, I was yeah. still in school at UL. But uh, I remember uh, talking to some of my professors. They actually gave me all three of my. I had three classes on that Monday following the Super Bowl, and they actually gave me an excused absence when I let them know, "Hey, I'm not going to be here because I'm going to the Super Bowl." One of the teachers straight up told me, "Like, this is a a historical thing for for the state." heck yeah, please go to the game. Don't worry about coming to class. I'll give you all the assignments you need. You know, some teachers are a little strict about that, but all three of my professors that uh, that Monday were like, nah, no, nah, go, go, go enjoy yourself. So that's what I did. And it's, a, it's something I'll never forget. It's yeah, an and I, I
2: actually, so I was at a friend's uptown and, and watched the game. And then we decided like some big dummies because I had to be at work on Monday, big dummies to go down to uh, the quarter. And so I get on Bourbon Street and walking down there and two goats, goats like walk by and I knew it would be a fun night after that so I think I got I rolled in back to life at about 5 a.m went to work at 7 it was you know a lot of fun
0: it was well worth it. I could not it pull that well off again just just say it. no no I, I tell you that the the older I get every time I ride down there in New Orleans for Mardi Gras the 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 more worn out I am the next day especially now being you know having having a, a young one Uh, you know, you have to be up and at it early in the morning. And and by then I'm just like, man, I'm ready to come home. So that's the beauty of having Lafayette Mardi Gras as well, because on Mardi Gras day Lafayette Mardi Gras. So just laid back and just fun. It's chill, very family oriented and just everybody's cool. And, And you run up, you go along the route, you run into so many people, you know, and yeah, I wouldn't trade Mardi Gras day and Lafayette for anything, but I'm glad you guys had a fun Mardi Gras, but, uh, let's talk some Cajun sports guys. Um, right now uh we're in the heart of basketball season softball season's underway baseball season starts in two days so got lots to talk about let's get started with basketball uh women's basketball while i was actually on the shuttle bus waiting to go to city park uh for Endymion as a rider i was watching the end of the women's basketball game in the sunbelt mac challenge uh the uh, cajuns women's basketball team went up to play central michigan uh as a road game and um Thanks to Tamaya Robinson's three-point shot with 0.2 seconds left, the Cajuns came out victorious. Cajuns victorious over the Chippewas by the score of 54-51. That sets the Cajuns' record at 10-12, 5-7 overall. Uh, Coach Gary Broadhead and the ladies will return to the Cajun Dome tomorrow against Georgia Southern back in conference play. They'll take on the Georgia Southern Eagles at 6 p.m., followed by another conference matchup, a, a rematch against Arkansas State on Saturday. Uh, you can watch both games on ESPN Plus or listen to the Georgia Southern game on 103-3 The GOAT or uh, 1420 a.m. or on Saturday. You can watch the game on ESPN Plus, but listen on 105.1, of course, with baseball and men's basketball, as well as uh, softball being played. The radio stations are going to be a little jumbled up, but you can listen to uh, Cajuns women's basketball on 105.1 on Saturday. Just remember, if you are going to the Cajun Dome, both games will be free at Mission. All right, moving on to men's basketball. Um, after that heartbreaking loss to Georgia State last Wednesday night, the Cajuns came back uh, firing on all cylinders. Uh, just like the ladies, the men's had their MAC Sunbelt Challenge uh, part two. Uh, the Cajuns hosted the Bowling Green Falcons out of the MAC and were victorious by the score of 86-60. Very convincing win. Probably one of the more impressive wins of the year so far. Uh, Rounding the Cajun's record to to 16-9 overall. 8-4 in conference play, which puts them currently in lone fourth place in the Sun Belt behind uh, JMU Troy as well as App. Uh, Just a few stat lines for the win against Bowling Green. Uh, Thamus Falks led the scoring 17 points, 3 assists, and uh, Hosanna was, uh he scored 16 points. He had 10 rebounds and three assists. Joe Charles, 14 points, three assists. And Kobe Julian, uh, 10 points overall. And got to give a shout out off the bench, Michael Thomas, 12 points for the Cajuns. Cajuns were 9 for 18 from the three-point line, 50%. They were 57% from the field. Uh, they were 33 of 58 there and 11 for 15 on free throws. So uh, with this win, the Cajuns, um, they are go 1-1 one one overall in that Sunbelt-MAC Challenge. Of course, they had lost the first game against Toledo on the road in that first round of the Sunbelt-MAC Challenge back, I believe, in November. Uh, so it was good to see them get the win there. Uh, Louisiana travels to Old Dominion. Uh, they'll play tomorrow against the Monarchs down in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, tip-off is at 6 p.m. And then they'll travel to first place App State in Boone, North Carolina on Saturday. Tip-off there will be 3 p.m. You can watch both games on ESPN Plus and listen on KPEL 96.5. Okay, so basketball looks like they're in the race for the top of the conference. I did want to bring one thing up about that. Josh, you were at the game against Bowling Green. Announced attendance. Now, before I say anything, I know it was Super Bowl Sunday. I know it was Mardi Gras. I understand that there were softball games being played, and I understand that there was a fair across the street. But with that being said, announced attendance, you're 15-9 and going into this game, and all you could get was 914 people inside the Cajun Dome for that Sunday game against Bowling Green. Now, I understand the distractions. I get it with everything going on. But I don't ever remember a Cajuns basketball game, a men's Cajuns basketball game outside of the COVID year, which we really don't count because they had limited capacity anyway. I've never in my entire life have seen an announced attendance of less than a thousand people at a Cajuns basketball game. Also, what's a little more concerning to me is the fact that, you know, we've talked about this all year and how to get people to go to the games. We talked about how they sold anywhere from a thousand to 1100 season tickets, which in itself was a red flag. But if it's true that they announced tickets sold, what that tells me is that if you had 914 people show up to your games, let's just say hypothetically you had 30 walkups. Hypothetically, you had 30 walkups. 914 minus 30 equals less than 900. So what that tells me is is you didn't have 1,000 or 1100 season tickets sold. You had less than 900 season tickets sold this year. I know we talk about attendance. I know we beat a dead horse when we say this, but that is really, really bad. That is not good. Josh, what was the atmosphere like the other day?
1: The atmosphere was uncomfortably quiet. I, I mean, that's, that's about as direct as I can be. It was so quiet. There were times where we'd be talking to each other and uh, talking about Catherine and I'd be talking to each other and it would be like a free throw. And It would be so quiet that we'd have to lower our voice <laughs> in the Cajun Dome. Imagine that. Um, but before I talk about attendance, let me just talk about the game real quick. Uh, Bowling Green is not good, but the 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 effort, again, just constantly is always there from this team. You have to be proud of that. They, they to Katinge, if you want to say it like Jay does, to Katinge, um, he's just a motor. He's constantly coaching the team, whether he's on the bench or on the floor. He does all of the little things that you need to win games. I don't know how many offensive rebounds he got credit for, but I can think off the top of my head, three or four times where it looked like Bowling Green was going to try to make a little run and Katenge got in the mix and would just tip in a tip in a ball and it'd go in. Or he'd tip a rebound out to Joe Charles and, and Joe Charles would lay it in. Or Katenge would make a big pass down low, you know, just 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 timely. Uh, plays And he, it seems like he's always in the middle of that. So uh, I, I just wanted to shout him out because his stat line, I think he ended up with 16, like you said, but it, it didn't tell the true story of how much he impacted the game. Uh, also, Mike Thomas, you mentioned that he had, I think, 12 off the bench. I had, If I had to guess, I'd say probably nine of those were in the second half where he hit two or three major three-pointers. Again, run-stopping three-pointers or, or moments where the game was just put out of reach because of big shots that he made. And Mike Thomas probably will go down as the unsung hero for me of this series of this uh, season, because as soon as he got moved to uh, the two guard and coming off the bench like the way he was, he wasn't just coming in to spell folks. Now that he's been relied upon for deep shots, you know, long range, uh, stretch the, the floor, and 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 be a true number two, he's delivered, man. And yeah, he might not have the size you need in a guard, and he might not be, uh, he might not have the handle that you'd like in a guard, but he does a lot of good things well enough to come off the bench and be an impact guy for this team. So shout out to him. Also, Hardy's back, and Hardy is playing uh impactful, meaningful minutes for the Cajuns off the bench as well. Good court, good court vision, runs the floor well. He's tough on defense. He's good, he's got a ways to go. You know, there's some growing there that needs to happen. But for a young player to come in and be as impactful as he as he has in the small amount of time that he gets. He is a shot in the arm off the bench, too, so shout-out to him. Um, you saw Ratliff get some good minutes against Bowling Green. He had a three, actually. Uh, he was active on the boards. He He's slowly coming along, and if we can get him moving around and getting some confidence late into the season and into the conference tournament, he could also be a weapon. So shout-out to all of them. Julian looks like he's as healthy as he's been deep into his season. That's good news. Uh, Joe Charles, we talked about his his defined role, and him continuing to be, uh, to show the coaches consistency, whether it be, you know, I I think he's almost averaging a double-double. I mean, you gotta be able to produce when you're in that three spot. When you're you're the number three, you gotta be able to produce night in and night out. And Joe Charles has grown into that third option. And I think that, uh, you know, he's shown that he can handle the load. So, shout out to all those guys. I just wanted to mention that about the game. Yeah, Bowling Green's not very good, but I just really focused on the Cajuns, and I, I tried to watch all the nuances that each player brought to the table, and I was impressed by a lot of different guys. Um, attendance from goal to goal, which I think is section 101 to section 118, somewhere in there, I counted 232 people. And my wife is here to back me up because I told her I'm counting, so she helped me out. 232 people. That's the home side. We sat on the visitor side. 232 people. So they announced 914, and we both know that they. Or we all know that they announced tickets sold well we were told that they sold a little over a thousand t- season tickets well they didn't because they reported 914 I paid for four walk-ups I'm sure there are more than just me who paid for walk-ups uh and they announced 914 so that tells us what we need to know about season tickets half of which are probably corporate you know that's a guess obviously but i would i would have, i would think that that's pretty fair it was a morgue you want to say it's Super Bowl Sunday okay Super Bowl started at five thirty. The game started at two. You want to say that there's a fair across the street? Okay. To me, that's a reason for you to come to the game because the weather was dicey. You want to say that softball was playing? Okay. There were breaks in between. You want to say? I mean, there's a million things you can say. I mean, other teams played, and I know Mardi Gras. It's specific to us. ULM had a game. I don't know if they were at home or not. Maybe we should check the attendance on that. But we have a tool, and we talk about it off in the table room. And I asked, uh, I think it was the boot, the Cuban traitor. I said, boot, why didn't um, the administration get together with the Cajun Dome folks and why didn't they do like an offering of, this is just a simple idea and I'm just spitballing, I'm not their marketing guy, it's just a spitballing, easy idea for me. Why don't you do a Super Bowl watch party at the, C- at the table uh, room after the game? You could do a discount basketball ticket, a discount wristband ticket to the fair, come, we'll serve you food, you know, if you're, if you're a rebounder's club, you get an extra perk, maybe a free beer or two, whatever. Have a Super Bowl watch party at the Cajun Dome at the table room. You don't think you could have attracted a couple hundred people? I do. I think that because our fan base is older, they probably do fewer at-home big watch parties and things like that. I bet you could get some of those diehard guys to stay around, stick around, watch the Super Bowl, have some beverages and talk Cajuns basketball. It would have been something easy to me. Um, but nobody could give me an answer for that and never can, but... Where was the promotion? Maybe they figured eh, we'll just go down with the sinking ship, whatever. And I get that that line of thinking too. I guess there are some you should just quit on. Maybe that was the correct call, just quit on it. But less than a thousand people. There wasn't nine hundred and fourteen. I know for a fact there wasn't nine. If you counted the referees, the cheerleaders, the players, the staff, the 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 trainers, all that, the band and the crowd, you might have got six hundred people. This this is I'm telling you, this is not an exaggeration. So it was a morgue. Uh, but me being the true Cajuns fan that I am, I went and I watched the guys or supported the guys. My wife's looking at me like I'm nuts. I did. I wasn't watching Tay Tay and the uh, Chiefs BS. Um, so we went and watched the Cajuns, we rooted them on, and um that that was our that was our evening. But that's my take on it. Happy to answer any questions you might have.
2: I'm not going to say anything about what I think they should do because, again, I'm tired of talking about it. We talk about it every week. They don't listen. They don't do anything. So if they're going to be happy with and complacent with with 900 fans a game, then I'm going to be complacent and happy with 900 fans a game. But you just wonder, like, this is coming off of a freaking NCAA tournament appearance where we drew 3.5 million people against Tennessee at 9.30 Eastern on a Thursday night. And you're getting 900 fans a game. But you want to blame the fans.
1: And you just won seven out of eight, too.
2: Right. And notice, again, like, you're saying there's 200-somewhat fans. That's probably, you. Yeah, probably 100 of those are the ones that show up to every game and don't care if they have 100 or 10,000 people there. As long as they're on the inside and they get their little seats and their perks, and they're close to whoever, they're, they're good with that. So nothing's going to change. Nothing, if, if you can't get a fan base into the Cajun Dome coming off of an NCAA tournament appearance where you should have all of this pomp and circumstance and pumping people up to get to the Cajun Dome, you're never going to do it. So I'm not even going to talk about it.
0: Well, I think now I'm starting to hear more often than not, and it's become louder and louder that the Cajun Dome is too big. And, but at the same time, we've never had this problem drawing 900 fans. Like, drawing 900 fans has nothing to do with the Cage of Dome being big. It's I an mean, excuse, like everything else, Jerry. Everything's an excuse. Nobody wants to attack
2: the reason behind all of this. They just want to give excuses and deflect. That's the problem. We want to keep giving excuses, but not take any action and get to the root of what the true problem is. Now, what that problem is, we can debate about all day, but we're going to blame it on this. We're going to blame it on that. It's the weather's too good. Oh, the weather's not good enough. There's too much to do in Lafayette. There's not, it's always an excuse. And in the end, nobody's attacking again, trying to figure out what the root of the problem is and then building off of that to try to fix the problem.
0: We're just going to keep blaming everything else. Well, Jesuit High School's gym holds around 2,500 fans at full capacity. So technically that would mean if you put the 914 fans inside of Jesuit High School's gym, it would still be barely 30% full. So what does the Cajun Dome have anything to do or the size of the Cajun Dome have anything to do with the fact that only 914 people showed up? Because Well,
2: here's the problem, Jerry, like you're you're using the 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 size of the cajun gnome as an excuse are you kidding me like you're saying we can't possibly do better to get more people in our current so we just have to shrink it we have to pay 60 million dollars to get a new arena to shrink it because we can't get enough people to the games that's not solving the problem you're still going to have 900 people in a 6,000 seat stadium as you are a 12,000 seat stadium you're not solving the problem you're just making it look better on TV
0: again 914 people inside of Jesuit's high school Jesuit high school's gym would be thirty percent capacity, which is still just as bad. Was thirty percent capacity in the Cajun Dome like around what through three thousand, maybe somewhere around there, maybe? You know, so I mean, look, the the reality is, is right now we're eleventh, we're eleventh in the conference in, in in attendance. I mean, the other day ULM outdrew us by like three hundred fans. That should never happen. It should never
2: happen. There's nothing to do in, that's the excuse. Well, there's nothing to do in Monroe, so of course they're going to have more people. There's always going to be an excuse, no matter what you throw out there. But T-Boy has a good point. Sunbelt Conference is not popular in basketball. You're 100% correct. At least when we were the old Sunbelt Conference where we had Western Kentucky, that was a true rival, and we get we get hyped up for that game. And there was a true people hatred. in that place. Right. Yeah. yeah. We don't have that. We had it for a little bit with Georgia State, but when Ron Hunter left, that went away. There's nobody I'm getting pumped up for playing in the Cajun Dome. Is there, is there anybody you get excited about? We tried to get excited for Georgia State,
1: but you can't. Uh, I don't know. They just don't do it for me. We don't anymore. have any natural rivals. I mean, Southern Miss was kind of fun last year when both teams were somewhat relevant. But we said it last week. There is absolutely nothing interesting about average Sun Belt basketball. There's barely something interesting about good. Sunbelt basketball. But when you give people all this propaganda and then you act like you're doing something important and you're not really doing much at all, people check out even more. Done with the propaganda. So, no, I mean, it's not interesting. Uh, you're on the brink of of baseball and softball. Well, softball's already started. Baseball's about to start. You got Mardi Gras rolling through. It's amazing. And some of the stories I was told about the Mardi Gras Association, man, it is. Ins- we live in an area where and maybe Tulane has to do, deal with this. We live in an area where the Mardi Gras Association is infinitely more powerful than the athletic administration at UL. They they boss them around and tell them how they're going to use their own property. It's it is phenomenal. Hell, Josh, the the the
2: car dealers in Lafayette do that to us.
1: I mean, it doesn't take a whole that, lot. That is true. But I didn't know the depths. I got some stories this this past you know week of the depths of how this, the Mardi Gras Association is like you know. UL's a piss ant to them. They, 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 outside of the little personal communication they have with some of their friends, I mean, they basically dominate the space. They don't. Yeah, but this is, but Josh, this is what happens
0: as a university when you don't know how to utilize your real estate. This is what happens when you don't know how to take advantage of your real estate and show it's, value. It's what for happens your real estate. when you don't truly.
2: You just said it. When you don't value I mean, your real estate, value and, right. and what you have. That's a problem.
0: Right. You know, I don't value
2: what you have.
0: I don't think people really understand the value of that UL property. Cajun Field, the property across the street, the Cajun Dome. It's an it's an entertainment epicenter. You've got a Cajun Dome, you've got the hotel, you've got the convention center, you've got a football stadium. Well, and that's actually getting renovated. You've got a baseball stadium. You've got you've got Johnson Street right there. You have an old arena on, on the side. I mean, there's so many things in this area in that particular piece of space. That's valuable. But yet we don't know how to utilize that. We don't know how to take that and say, hey, how can we capitalize on this nice piece of property? Instead, we do the opposite. We just say, yeah, anybody want to use it? Come on in. Come on in. Take it. Take it.
1: Unless you're how a tailgater. You? If you're a tailgater, you're not welcome well, here unless they, you spend thousands of dollars. Right. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Look, I I just ran some numbers, okay? So we talked about how the 7,000 that showed up for the Troy game in 2022 at Cajun Field, which was the lowest crowd uh since 1999. That was I think I I did the numbers just now. That uh, that announced number filled 17% of Cajun Field. 17% capacity. I just ran the numbers for the 914 in the Cajun Dome. Now, granted, the Cajun Dome, I, put, I think it's 12,000 seats. I ran the numbers at 12,000 seats. 7%. 7%. I don't care how big the Cajun Dome is. 914 is not, I mean, you know, oh, we got to move back to Blackham. 914 looks terrible in Blackham. Let's just call it what it is. Shrinking, like Nick said, shrinking the size of your arena does not change the fact that people aren't showing up. And by trying to make it look better with a smaller attendance, how about instead of shrinking the arena, how about you go out in the community, market your program, market your team, find ways to capitalize on the success of last season, going to the dance and, and playing an SEC team to the wire for three, three and a half million people, capitalize on that and boost your attendance up in the arena you're playing in now. How about we try that? Let me take it a step further, Jerry, and I know we said,
2: and T-Boy, and I agree with him, that Sunbelt Conference basketball isn't getting people pumped up. You look down the street at McNeese, you think Southland Conference games are getting people pumped up there? No, they're going there for the experience. Houston Christian shows
0: up and they got 4,000 people.
2: Nobody cares about, about who they're playing. They're going there for an experience. They know they're going to have a fun time. They know they've got a good team. They've got a coach who I think is a D-bag, but he gets people excited about it, and people show up, and they embrace it. And they've had terrible teams for the last, what, 20 years? And all of a sudden, in one season, they've turned it around and are selling out their their arena. That tells you it can be done. You just have to make an effort to get people excited about the product, and we're doing nothing about that. We're doing nothing in 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 that realm right now.
1: The other thing about Will Wade is that he makes the fan base feel like they're going to compete at a national level. They believe that they're going to win nationally. Nobody feels that way here. Well, a handful of about 30 people feel that way. Outside of that, nobody thinks that we're going to do anything in the postseason nationally. So why would I even get excited about three days in March?
0: Well, that's the point, though, Josh. When 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 your head coach is saying things like, we're going to make a run and we're going to surprise people and we're going to be the surprise of the nation, that's easy to get behind. That's easy to say, okay, I'm in. Where, where do I sign? But when, you, when, when we say things like that, like, hey, Cajun basketball, we need to go to the Sweet 16, and people, especially higher up, say, no, no, that's not possible. Well, why would I sign up for that? You're basically telling me you can and you don't want to. Why would I want to jump on that?
1: Well, it's easy to say I'm going to make a run, the other coach that we're talking about has actually beaten VCU and beaten Michigan and beaten these teams. We've never done that. Not in 14 years, we haven't beaten anybody like that. Not close. So why would anybody buy into it? Because we recognize it as propaganda in year 14. Over there in Lake Charles, it's new and exciting. And oh, by the way, he's beating these teams that he's playing. So it's a completely different comparison. But, but it shows you what you can do when you inject some life into a program. As down as we are now, you go find a dynamic guy to run your program, you never know what could happen.
0: Well, when you, when you, when you run Culture of Camp for so long, and, and, and I say things like, well, we need, we, we, let's make a run at the Sweet 16. Oh, that's impossible. We're in the South. Basketball's not what it used to be, and all this other stuff. You expect me to sign up to that? You expect me to say, okay, I'm in. I'm in on that mindset. What do I sign? What, then what's the point of, if you're not going to, if you're, if you're not going to have a goal, what's the point of giving money to that? What's the or well, Because it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, united. this isn't United way as much as I love United way. This is not, this is not a charity. So how, what, I guess the question is what, what should be the message of our program right now, our basketball program to get more people to the games? What should be the message?
2: And I'm just, this is the last thing I'm going to say, cause I'm tired of talking about basketball. But because I want to talk about baseball so bad, but Josh said we we need a new coach or, or getting a new coach to inject some excitement. Look, we don't have to have when you say messaging, all we need is excitement. We need somebody. It could be anybody coming out and injecting excitement. Look at what Southern Miss is doing. They just hired Scott Berry, who's one of the the most loved people in the history of athletics to go be their community liaison person for for the athletic
1: department. So awesome. And that's why they're so much better than us at this stuff.
2: But that's what we need. We need somebody. It doesn't have to be Bob Marlin. Bob Marlin can do X's and O's. But get somebody to if he's not gonna do it, right? If he's not gonna be somebody and, and if 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 Des is not gonna be the guy to get get us fired up about it, we need somebody to get us fired up about the product that they're, they're putting out there. And, and look, we're we're talking about we're what, 16 to 9 or whatever our, our record is. You wouldn't know that unless you looked it up on a schedule. Nobody's talking about it, nobody cares, nobody's saying anything. They send a few tweets out and they say we did our job. We need somebody actively engaging the community and saying what value it is to go to their games and then actually backing that up with making it a value to go to our games. That's what we need. We need some injection of excitement from somebody in the program because we're not getting that and saying, you know, fans should come see one of the most exciting teams in the country. No, I'm not saying propaganda wise. I'm saying we need somebody to truly come out. Be excited and let Bob do his job, let Des do his job, and come out and get us excited and pumped up about this program. Right now, we don't have anybody doing that, and the, and the attendance confirms what we know. Look, when Des goes up behind the mic, we get pumped. When we listen to Des, uh, I'm sorry, when we listen to Matt Deggs, and Deggs is a soft-spoken guy, but he's very straightforward. He's going to tell you how it's going. He's going to get you pumped up. You like listening to him talk. You don't get that from every program. So we need somebody here to do that for us. Like a Scott
1: Berry at Southern Miss. It's a great point. And I think that that's why the propaganda stuff is so polarizing. At some programs, you hear the propaganda, you go, Oh, that's coach speak, you know, but at this program, it's either silence or propaganda. There's literally no in between either. They're not talking to you at all. or they are telling you like these crazy fairy tales? So, yeah, Nick, we're missing, you know, Scott Barry, Tony would have been superb at that role. Uh, I mean, D- Hud still, I would still hire Hud tomorrow to do that role. I mean, but again, that's why a fan base like Southern Miss, the reason why they still have such a diehard, large, um, real fan base still to this day, even though they've been in purgatory and football for, I don't know, 20 years. And, uh, you know, before baseball, this last little run, they kind of had a dip there too. And basketball hasn't been very good at all for the last 10, 12 years. But the reason why they stay relevant is because their fan base is strong because the, the department takes steps to keep them involved. Their alumni is still actively involved. We don't have that. We don't even try to have it. So, I don't know. It's still it's It all comes from the top, but I actually just got a, a text message from Brian. Brian Maggard said that Jerry's just being negative, so let's move on. Anyways,
0: I guess we'll move on from that. Can't change the fact that we only drew 900 people and that uh, our attendance average right now is 1,700, which is probably the lowest ever outside. Again, it's outside of the COVID year. If anybody tries to bring up the COVID year, that doesn't count. Okay. That's probably the lowest attendance average ever since we played in the Cajun Dome, even including Blackham. So something's got to give here. And I don't want to hear about ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus has been around for almost a decade. Okay. There's been stuff to do in Lafayette for decades. That didn't just come. That didn't come back overnight. It's not like the the, uh, the when the Baltimore Colts moved on the Mayflower truck. It's not like the Mayflower trucks came in with a bunch of thrill rides and Top Golf that brought it in Lafayette last night. Okay, there's obviously something wrong here,
1: dude. ODU had a situation with their coach that was unfortunate here uh, at the beginning of the season. Have anybody? If y'all looked at their average, their average attendance at home is like fifty-seven hundred people. They're number one in the conference, and they're like six and nineteen. We play can't win. Night.
0: They can't win. You play them tomorrow night. You'll see the
1: crowd. You'll see it. They fill the gym. They can't win. And if you want to tell me that, uh, what is it? North Northeastern Virginia is boring and there's nothing to do. Some of the most beautiful countryside in the in the in the entire United States. They got plenty going on up there. They're affluent. There's. Uh, it's not like it's it's in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do. It's a great little city. A great little town. It's it's they're they're fine. fifty, 50 I think it's fifty seven hundred people, Jerry with a yeah. team that's not winning in and, an unfortunate situation with their coaching uh, uh, staff. I think and, – and did, and I did just he pass away or something? Something wild yeah, I think.
0: I think he, he got – I forgot he got sick or something, but I think he's – I don't know what happened.
1: Um, yeah. And meanwhile, we're down here and we're having to talk about – what is it, 1,700, 1,800 people now, average? 1,700 people average. I don't want to hear the – there's always going to be an excuse, like Nick said. Really is kind of beating a dead horse, but it, there's, not, there's at this point, it's almost as if the people of the town – are sending a message it's all it almost feels on purpose we're, we're checked out
0: well again regardless of super bowl sunday regardless of any of that i mean 914 people and the fact that you sold less than 900 season tickets there's nothing to spin there that's basic data that's basic facts the numbers are right in front of us and that is a huge huge concern i mean again the, the 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 horrible crowd that we flipped out on with the Troy game last year, the capacity of the stadium was still at ten percent more than what we saw on Sunday. And for anybody who's out there saying, "Well, you know, uh, we shouldn't be worried about this. It is what it is." No, it's not. It, it no, there is no is what it is. That's a problem. That's a problem. And trying to kick the can down the road is not going to solve the problem. So, I hope that this could be a lesson. I hope that they see these numbers and how pathetic they are. And I hope that our, whether it's administration or that new ticket drive or the new ticket sales team or Salesforce, I hope they find a way to get it done next year because these numbers are embarrassing. They're embarrassing. Let's just call it what it is. It's embarrassing.
2: I have zero confidence, Jerry. They're going to call us the bad guys because we're talking about it and they're going to go about their business. There's no
0: bad guy. There's not, 914 people does not make us the bad guys. We're negative. We're the bad guys. Yeah. There's no negative. No. It's 914 people. That's negative. Can 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 I hear one more grape?
1: One more grape. We walk in. It's raining outside, right? When we walk into the game, you can't bring your umbrella into the dome. So they made us put our our umbrella up against the wall. Okay, with with 14 other umbrellas. Then kids want water and popcorn. Walk up to the uh, concession. Water, single water, single popcorn, regular popcorn, thirteen dollars. My wife's like, you you gotta be kidding me, like what? And the, the, the concession worker agreed that it was an outrageous price, so we walked away. We didn't even get the water and the popcorn. Had it been $8, probably would've bought it. So you're scaring people away with these absurd concession prices. You can't bring your umbrella in a game where there's 900 people. Everything we do screams stay out, everything. They don't want you in their game. They make it as difficult as possible. It'll never not be funny to me.
0: Well, I had to bring it up because anytime you have less than 1,000 people at any of our games, at one time, back in the day in the early 2000s, 3,000 was an exhibition crowd for an exhibition game that didn't even count. We are, in February, possibly trying to make another run at the tournament, and we have 900 people showing up. So... This let's throw our hands up in the air and say woe is me. We can't do that because this is not this is not good. And I'm sorry to take it away from what the success of what this team has shown. You know, this past weekend, but 900 people is that's terrible. It's terrible. It's no spinning that. And to the fans out there that are trying to that want to spin it, there's nothing to spin. This is this is embarrassing. So. I don't know. We got two home games left, both of which are against decent teams. You got Troy coming in there, I think, in second place in the conference right now. Of course, you got a rival in Southern Miss. Hopefully, we can get over the 2,000 mark for each of those games. I hope. I hope. We'll see. Anyway, moving on. Nick, what do you think, man? Baseball or softball? You pick. What should we talk about first?
2: Can we get to baseball? Let's do baseball. Let's get to baseball. Come on. I've been waiting long enough, man.
0: All right. Well, put me in, coach. Ready to play in two days. Cajuns open up the 2024 season at MLT. Field at Russo Park against Wright State. First pitch Friday, 6 p.m. Saturday, first pitch will be at 2. Sunday, first pitch at 1. Pretty much the same time as always in the weekend series at the Teague. And you can catch the games on Friday and Sunday. There will be no TV on Saturday but on Friday and Sunday you can catch both games on ESPN plus you can listen on 96.5 on Friday as well as Sunday and then on Saturday with no TV you'll be listening on 105.1. Uh coach Matt Deggs had his press conference this week seems very excited looks like they kind of they, they, they kind of hit the they, they kind of hit the the preseason pretty pretty hard and You know, Mardi Gras Day took the day off. I guess he's kind of, you know, resting his players a little bit to get ready for the season on Friday night. But the pitching rotation came out, and it looks like this. On Friday night, of course, we all knew Jack Martinez will be starting on the mound. Saturday, freshman Chase Morgan will be taking the start. A lefty, a big lefty. And then on Sunday, and I like this setup, actually. It's actually a good setup for the anchor, right? The deciding game of the series, Carson Fluno. Guys, I'm not surprised by Jack Martinez and Fluno. I thought it was going to be Friday, Saturday, but this right, left, right, going back to the roadway of doing things. I don't know. Maybe Gunner had a say in that Chase Morgan. He's a freshman. I know he's got a lot of hype about him, but I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised they're putting him as a, uh, as a weekend starter. I mean, I know um this coaching staff must have a lot of confidence in him to do that what do you guys think about the uh the pitching rotation as well as what we can expect at the teague starting friday night yeah
2: i like um right left right again i like this season that we're going in with some true starting pitching um seeing fluno on sunday kind of surprised me as well i thought it was going to be um you can either call him langevin or Langevin, which i'm going to call him Langevin. LP is going to get the uh the start on Sunday. I thought he was going to get the start on Sunday, but I like him in the bullpen, um potentially a closer. I think he's got great stuff. He was up to mid-90s on his fastball. I think it'd just be be good to come in after uh, late, later in the game after uh the the starter set him up. So, like to see him in that in that position but uh, chase morgan again i was a little bit surprised on that i didn't expect to see him i thought it was going to be fluno langevin and um and martinez but uh look i uh, i know that that in talking to my brother a couple times he mentioned chase morgan had a good fall um you know i I'm, again i'm excited to see us having some true starting pitchers um Want to see what Chase does on Saturday. Very excited to see him take the mound. I think Martinez is going to be really, really good for us. And look, if Luno can do his thing on Sunday, that that leaves a lot of pitchers available for us in midweek as well. So excited about the way things are shaping up for our first weekend and uh, look forward to seeing uh, what those guys can bring. I'm, I'm sure it won't be I doubt they'll be going too deep into the games to start the season, but really want to see what they can do in, in innings one, two, three, and, and possibly four and and get us off to a good start.
1: I love it. Uh, once upon a time, a young lefty got to start on the road against Alabama. Uh, that guy happens to be the coach, uh, pitching coach for our, our pitching, uh, our uh, pitching staff this year. So maybe he sees a little bit of chase in him. Um, or some of himself in chase. I love having the lefty on Saturday. That's always been the way I like it. Uh, you know, big guy, changes his out pitch. You got change as an out pitch on Friday. You got change as an out pitch on uh, Saturday. And then you're going to come back with some experience in Fluno with a, you know, fastball slider guy. I like that. I like having experience on a potential rubber day. You go in on Sunday, if it's a 1-1 series, you, I got a lot of confidence in Fluno. Fluno is a good mix of experience, but I still have a lot to prove, you know? I like having that mix on Sunday. It just, I don't know. You feel like you can... He's been through some battles at this point. I mean, you know what he can do. He's seen some elite-level competition. He knows what big hitters look like, Uh, uh, especially Wright State. Look, Wright State's a good... They're a good baseball team. Regional team, almost beat Indiana State at their place last year. I watched that game. Really impressed with their athleticism. They bring a lot back. Uh, I expect a dogfight. They have a lot of attitude. You know, they're going to... I think they match us and I look forward to a good competitive series, but strictly from pitching, I think, you know, so we're going on, we're going with Jack Martinez or Jack Martinez. What's, what's correct.
2: Well, it's funny because I think it's Martinez, but Deggs referred to him as
1: Martinez. So just call him whatever you want. I guess it's like Trahan, Trahal, whatever. Deggs does butcher some names, (laughs) but I'm going to go with Martinez just based on Kendall. So Martinez on Friday, I, I cannot wait to see that guy pitch. Um, And you know how many times we've had these newcomers and they come into the Teague and, you know, they've never pitched in front of more than 400 people at a game. And then they show up on Friday night and there's, you know, 4,500 people at the Teague on a Friday night, lubed up, ready to rock and roll opening night. Sometimes they can come in there and they can, you know, they're adrenalized, like Tony used to say, and they try to overthrow things. I'm going to be interested to see how he responds to the moment. Coming from D3 to D1, it's just a huge, I mean, what a culture shock that's going to be for him on Friday night. So you never know how he's going to perform until the lights come on. I'm interested to see how he handles that role, that anchor role that we just could not figure out last year and really the year before. I can't wait to have a bona fide Friday night guy, and I hope it goes well. And again, one start is not going to make or break his season and career as a Cajun, but you know, we're all excited. We're all ready to open the tee. That's going to be interesting. Can't, I can't wait to see what Chase can do on Saturday. Expect a lot of things from him. A lot of talent. Obviously, there's going to be some up and down with the youth. But Flunel on Sunday, I think, I really like that. And to your point about Langevin, which is fantastic, uh, I love the idea that he's going to be in the pen for long relief. If somebody just kind of hits you know, a jam and, and they can't overcome, I like having him there. I like having Blake Marshall healthy uh, with another year under him. His, his arm was so live last year. I think he kind of surprised himself with the movement. I want, I, his stuff is just so nasty. And when he's locating and he's consistent, his the, the fastball slider out of the left side is, is devastating. And as long as he can throw strikes and stay on top of it, he's going to be, I think, that that Blake Marshall's poised. And obviously, I've been high on Marshall for a long time, so that's not that's not uh, uh, breaking news. But I think David Christie's good for long relief. I think David Christie's another. That's a great option. So you got three options right there that, you know, if we hit a little bit of a skid, Go in the go in the pen. I got a lot of confidence with those guys, and obviously the the, the, the newcomers that we don't know very much about. You guys touched on it with Kendall uh Brenneman and 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 a few others. You know, I, I'm very 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 intrigued by this pitching staff. Uh, but yes, to to end the point, right left right on the weekend. Uh, there's a there's several storylines going in, uh, several storylines, lots to be interested in, lots to follow. Very very interested, and then also you got a good opponent. This is a good opponent coming to the teague. Don't let the name fool you. Like Kendall mentioned, they've, they've I think their, uh, their RPI recipe has been good for years because they're good to have on the schedule because they just win. They, they, they have a great winning percentage over the course of, I don't know, 10, 12 years. Uh, so it, it's going to be fun to open the teague with a good opponent and, and all these new arms that we get to check out. So they'll be on full display.
0: I'm excited about the fact that we do have some depth in our pitching staff for for the first time in a while. And I feel like this is the first time in a while where our weekend rotation feels more solidified over the last couple of years. You kind of felt like we were experimenting and we're kind of kind of playing it game by game by game where I think this time the depth is I feel more comfortable with the depth because now you have guys that are going to be playing in the bullpen who were starters last year. I mean, David Christie. I mean, he pitched the game of his life against Coastal Carolina, who hosted a regional. You have Blake Marshall, who another one dominated against Coastal in a tournament, in a Sundell tournament game that helped us get into a regional. Uh, I mean, you have a bunch of these guys who either started last year or got some significant play time, who you know, if you have to go to the pin, you could call any one of them up and they're going to come out and deliver. So looking at Martinez, looking at at, um, Morgan, Looking at a Carson Fluno, um, you know, I obviously, I think Chase has more to prove being the young one of that rotation. But uh, Carson Fluno, I mean, he didn't actually get his first start until Baton Rouge in April last year. And you saw how fast he developed and how comfortable he got in that role on the mound. And so instead of us having to wait until April to see what he could do, it's great to see that he's earned his way into the weekend rotation. To where again, if the series is tied one to one and you want to win the weekend series, if there's anybody I'm depending on, it's a guy like Carson Faluno. So I think that's real smart. Put again, putting him as the anchor on a Sunday, but I want to see what Jack Martinez can do too. Um, there's a lot of hype about him. There's a lot of expectation about him. You know, they've got him ranked uh, as a top pitcher, uh, one of the top pitchers in the country, and uh, you know, er, 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 he's on this wa- these watch lists and things like that. So. I mean, look, to your point, Josh, coming from a D3 school and playing at the Teague for the first time in front of four to 5,000 fans, it'll be intimidating, but we're going to see if he's what we call a dude. You know, Usually dudes don't have to worry about the crowd. They don't get uh, too intimidated by the environment. If he comes out you know, striking batters out left and right and bringing some heat in the beginning, he could be someone that we can really depend on as the season goes on. So really excited about that. I'm also excited to see what this lineup can do. Uh, got a lot of younger guys coming in, guys like Caleb Sted, Stelly, Ben Robichaud. We saw what they can do, but they're gonna have to step up a little bit more this year. Uh, Mason Zambo is another prime example. Hopefully, he can be healthy. Of course, you got guys like JT and Debo in the middle field that we know are gonna are gonna perform. You know, we're gonna have some new guys in the outfield. What are they gonna do? Right? Got a new guy at third base. I mean, what's he gonna do? Got a new catcher. So, um, again, and I've said it before, but the DEG system, the beauty of the Degs hitting system is you know, whether it's the first week or sometime in mid-March, that Degs hitting system is going to click. It's going to click. I just hope it's earlier and sooner than later. But I am excited to see how that lineup develops because they will develop. We know they're going to develop.
2: Yeah. And I think when you when you talk about the system and and getting some production early, I think when you have guys returning like a Debo, like a JT, Higgs, you know, is going to do his thing. um, You're not as worried in in the earlier part of the season because they've been a part of his his system for a couple of years. So I look for them to be I'm not going to say ahead of the pitching, but I feel like they might be a little bit of ahead of where we were during the Rice series last last year. So I, I look for that to to be a little quicker start for them. Going to be interesting. Um, not sure who who's going to replace CJ at first. I know they've got uh, a uh, a transfer from Hawaii, Starbuckin. Uh, that's in competition with Lafleur and Zambo. So I think those are three guys uh, that are going to be competing for that first base spot. Will be interesting to see who 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 wins out there. Um, ben Robichau. I think he mentioned on his press conference is injured, just had surgery, and will be out for a while. So that leaves a little bit of competition in in the outfield as well. So again, it's exciting to see some of the some of the guys with experience come back this year, and and it will be fun to see how our lineup kind of you know you know Degs, he changes his lineup from from minute to minute, so you never know what that's gonna that's gonna look like, but. I think for me, one of the most exciting players that I look forward to is going to be Duncan Pastore. I mean, that's replacing Marshock at, at third base is going to be tough. I mean, look, replacing Rock in, in the outfield is tough enough as it is. But I think when you're looking at the, at the hot corner, that's going to be one of the toughest positions to replace. I look for good things out of Pastore and really want to see him shine early in the season. Uh, so that to me, that's going to be one of our dynamic playmakers if he pans out like I expect him to. So lots of excitement to me defensively and offensively for the Cajuns this season.
1: Well, look at what happened before we installed Marshak at third. I mean, we had it was a revolving door. We had so many issues, and finally Shock stopped the bleeding, and then he became an outstanding third baseman for us. So hopefully Pastore can step in and and be good defensively. Now sounds like he's very physical at the plate. And it also sounds like uh, both the corners are still kind of up in the air. I I don't know if Pastore for sure has nailed it down. It sounds like he's the leader in the clubhouse, but you know, you never anything can happen. I like Zambo at first base, and Doug just said Zambo is going to start. I don't know if that's true, but I hope it is. I like Zambo. Great team guy, great locker room guy. He's shown that he can get on hot streaks and hit the ball to the gaps. Something we're going to need. I think something that's not been talked about enough. um, JT kind of bursts on the scene after a few you know, times around in the lineup and being a second base and then moved him around a little bit. But once he started becoming consistent, he was a dude. Now, it's easy to be a dude. Well, it's not easy, but it's easier to be a dude. But this year, we need him to be the dude. Like, we need him to be one of the top three dudes. Can he be that? Can he be that consistent guy that you can count on? And I'm not saying he can't. I just think that that's another storyline that we need to pay attention to. Well, I he think- is a bad bro, right? well that's more <laughs> of a negative than a positive but
2: but look josh you feel look having jt come back we we had leday for a while and god bless the kid he did some good things for us but you had such inconsistency at that position yeah for so long and then you get jt in, who gives a little bit of calming presence where you feel like he's going to make the play offensively again he's got to get off to a, a good start this season but you got to feel a little bit better than we did a couple of years ago where you had so much inconsistency at second base going into
1: it with JT. I'm good with it. I'm a hundred percent. In fact, I think we have one of the best. I think we're up the middle. We might, we're at least top two in the sunbelt. I think we're some of the best in the country. As far as Torres, I don't know if Torres can hit a lick, but I know he can play defense and, my style i want somebody back there i can rely on to control the pitching staff and make sure we limit the damage in the field that's what a catcher's supposed to do that's your number one job torres is going to do that for us we need him to stay healthy that's the issue he's not a huge guy 5 8 i think it was like 190 pounds not huge so we'll see you know that that's something that i'll be looking at but i'm glad that we have somebody back there defensively that we can count on jt is as good as anybody with the glove he's got range he's got some flair I have no issue with him defensively. Debo's a proven commodity. Nothing to worry about. Connor Higgs. We've seen Connor Higgs play a, a pretty salty outfield. How good is he going to be in center field? That's the question for me. Everybody talks about replacing Rock at the dish. We don't. We 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 would never fully appreciate how you how valuable that guy was in the field. He was your ultimate five tool util, utility. You put him in first base, we got better at first base. You put him in center field, we got better at center field. You put him in right field, we got better at right field. Every position that guy played, we were better for it. Connor Higgs is a good; he was an outstanding left fielder. Center field is a different; it's a different deal altogether. If he can be consistent in center field and 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 play with the range that we need him to play with, I think we're one of the best up the middle in the country. So that's great. But defensively, I'm not worried. I think we're fine. Yeah, and I
2: just want to go back to before you before you go. You mentioned catcher and Torres. He reminds me a lot of Robbie Rojas who played catcher for Sam Houston when Deggs was there. This is your prototypical uh, guy behind the plate that Deggs looks to recruit. So hopefully he pans out as good as Robbie did because he was a damn good catcher. I just noticed that in his, uh, I've seen a a few clips of him. I've seen him behind the plate. Uh, His size reminds me a lot of Robbie Rojas. So just wanted to throw that out there.
1: Excellent comp. And if he has the uh, grit and the tenacity and the toughness that Robbie Rojas had, we got a good one. You know, I mean, uh, I, I can't, I just can't stress enough how I like this locker room. Not that I didn't like the one last year, but this locker room sounds, from things I've, hear, I've heard, just a little more gritty, a little extra something with it. And I, I really like that. But I haven't mentioned the, the lineup. I don't worry about the lineup. I know I trust Deggs to figure the lineup out. But you mentioned Ben Robichaud, that's a loss because Ben is your prototypical leadoff guy. He can hit for some pop, but he puts the bat on the ball. He doesn't strike out, he walks, he can use the bunt as a weapon. Uh, that's going to be a big loss, unfortunately. But nobody's talking about guys like Luke Juhas. You know I mean? Caleb Stelly, which was amazing to me, is that Kendall mentioned, um, and uh, you're never going to replace a Rock, but he said Caleb Stelly would be his his leading candidate to replace a guy like Rock. And we all know what Caleb can do. We've seen the, the the glimmers of what he can do, but but to compare him to Carson Roquefort, uh, that's high praise. And we got a few of those guys on the roster. So, you know, I think the the season will it, it, it will reveal the guys that will be dudes later in the season, come June. Um, but that's part of following the team, isn't it? it? That's the fun part. I think the most interesting and and the most fun part about it is that we know that we have those guys on the roster. This isn't 2015. Or, or, excuse me, not 2015. This ain't 2012. This is not like, you know, the dark ages with uh, with Hayden Cantrell and a bunch of other guys that weren't really reliable. You know what I mean? This, You know you got guys. I'm interested to see how it works out with Mason and um, the transfer at first base. What's the guy, Starbuck? and uh, That'll be interesting. I think that Pastore has third base down, but I still think that there's some competition there. I understand that LaFleur's had a really nice spring, uh, you know, pre-spring. I, uh, I like him a lot, but he's never healthy. You got to show me something. Stay on the field. This Back issues. You guys know how it is. You start messing with the back, the neck. Uh, you never really fully recover from that. And he has a kind of a violent swing. So I don't know, man. I, I just he's been around college baseball for a very long time, and he can never stay on the field, unfortunately, because the guy is crazy talented. I like having his bat off the bench because I mean, go back to the uh, the regional and and uh, College Station, and, and <laughs> we know what he can do with the bat, but. There's a lot to like. There's a lot to like. It's it's a whole bunch of unrealized gains, like like we talk about the market, a whole bunch of unrealized gains, but they're there. The potential is certainly there. I'm just glad that we're going to pitch and play defense to win games. Go score me five runs. I don't need 11. Score me five runs and hold the other team to two. That's how I want to win.
0: I agree with that. And I think to your point, we do have depth. I, I think the development is what's going to be important because look, in the first three weeks, it's not just our team. All three hundred and what are all three hundred teams in college baseball are going to be playing with the lineups. They're going to be experimenting. They're going to be trying to play different utility players at different positions. They're going to be playing bench players to start during the midweek and vice versa. And so I'm curious to see that because I do think we have a lot of talent. I mean, like you said, you got guys like Juhas, Amade, you got these newcomers like Steinbacher coming in that we really we know they have potential, but it's just a matter of whether or not they go out there and and dominate, right? I mean, JT was like that to your point to start the season last year. We didn't know anything about him. Heck, when I remember, I remember watching him play. I knew he had power to his swing, but he really didn't start showing that power on the field until midway through the season. In the first couple weeks, I I didn't know anything about him. I just saw he was kind kind of a skinnier guy, pretty athletic. And then all of a sudden, something just turned on right when conference play started. And I mean, he's just hitting bombs out to right field and out to center field. And I'm like, where, where did this come from? Sometimes it takes that engine to get revved up a little bit later than we would like. Um, But I think the hard thing about this schedule and what makes it interesting to me is how, like, I know it's going to take time to develop with some of these guys in the lineup, but there is a little bit of expectation when in your third week of baseball you're playing two sec schools and a big 12 team so i'm hoping that you do have at least half the lineup that you know you can depend on by then and plus you want to start the season off right you don't want to start the season you know eight and eight and ten and then have to play catch up once conference rolls around you want to win some of these non-conference games especially some of these non-conference teams we're playing I expect a lot of them to be in the postseason. I mean, that's that's how you boost your RPI. That's how that's what the selection committee looks at towards the end of the year. If you were you able to start off right and
1: beat some good teams, I, I agree with you. But and here's the here's the hard truth. We that might happen. We got a, we got a lot of moving parts. This is a, I know in yeah. in, in, in large majorities is a new team in a lot of ways. Makeup of the team is different. How we're going to play is different. I mean, how we're going to be aggressive on the base pass is different. How we're going to try to manufacture runs different, different skill sets this year are going to be relied upon. So, you know, if we start eight and ten, people are going to be like, oh my God, what's going on? But. This is the, the exact type of team that gets much better as the season moves along. So I'm not going to be too worried. I don't know. We always say that and then we start, you know, two and five and everybody's freaking out. But I'm telling you, that might happen. Um, but to your point about JT, I wanted to say something real quick. The media was reporting on a bunch of names. Yuha's was one of them and all these new guys that were coming. They were talking about all this stuff. But the players and the parents were telling me, JT, John Taylor, watch out for that guy. He's going to be a ball player. And at that time, he was competing to start at third because we had that issue at third. And he was injured in the fall towards the second half of the fall. So I didn't get to see him very much. And, but I kept, they kept saying, JT's a guy. He's a dirtbag. He's the kind of guy y'all need. And as soon as he started playing, I saw it, you know. But this year, Pastore is the JT. You know, you haven't heard a lot of Pastore, but the guys are talking about Pastore. And I was happy that Kendall brought it up. That's kind of why you know I wanted to talk about it in the interview because I, I kind of hope that he went more into it, but the guys are talking about past story. Uh, they like him. So he might be this year's JT, and if he is, great. We need that kind of mentality up and down the roster. I think we have it. That's what's so exciting. All that being said, you can throw the stats out the window. Give me their walk-up music, and I can tell you if the offense is going to be good this year. I'm 100 out of 100 guessing good offense, bad offense, based on walk-up music. By the way, the Cantrell years, I was a four for four saying the offense was going to be awful.
2: Doesn't doesn't uh, Degs pick it now?
1: I thought it was I thought it was um, a Bab. Oh Bab! I Babb think Bab Bab has to approve or deny. But I gotcha. Yeah, you get no more Kevin Gates. Every time we, we stop <laughs> playing Kevin Gates, we can't score runs anymore. But yeah, no, I, I don't know what the deal is. But uh, give me their walk-up song. I can tell you if they're going to hit the ball or not.
2: But I'm glad you you pointed out the The early season schedule. Look, every single year, and I think we're we're starting to catch on to this. I think last year we started to catch on to this. But the first couple of years of Degs, we were so frustrated because we'd come out the first, you know, few weekend series, losing, dropping series, and we were changing lineups, and guys were in and out, and we were like, what is he doing? Like, we can't get a consistent lineup. We were very frustrated, but I think we're starting to see that that since a couple seasons ago, the later in the season that we we go the better we get and and i mean look at last year we we got swept by freaking james madison which we can never let happen again so let's let's not preface this by saying oh we're gonna get swept by james madison again but what i'm saying is like it's consistently he it, it takes time for him to figure out the puzzle pieces and and play that chess so Hopefully we're we're above five hundred after the uh, the non conference series, but if we're not, I'm not going to hit the panic button because history has proven itself correct. These last couple of seasons where we have put ourselves in a position, I mean, hell, we were an at large bid last year, right? And that we wouldn't have thought we would have been an at large bid for the last couple of years. What I I want to see this year is us making it to a regional with the pitching staff we expect to have with the bullpen, we expect to have that I think is what was missing in, in Miami last year. And and granted Miami was to me, one of the toughest regionals to be put in agree. But if you have a solid bullpen and three solid starters that you can rely on, I think that's a a little bit different turnout because Miami didn't do so well towards the end of that regional, because they were kind of in the same position we were in. So I think I, I want to see us getting into regional and really if if our pitching lives up to the potential that we think they can live up to, I think we're going to have a lot of fun in postseason this year, but not going to get ahead of myself. Uh, myself, Let's just win a few games in, in, before conference, before we start getting into conference, but if we drop a few, not going to hit the panic button. We play some damn good teams, especially here in Houston coming up in a few weeks, so uh, not going to hit the panic button. We're probably still going to complain about it, but you
0: know that's what we do as fans, right? I think it depends, and, and I should have corrected myself when I said early on. It depends on how well we compete in those games that we lose. I mean, if you look at the game like against Mississippi State last year in Biloxi, right? We lost four to two. How many men did? We, how many runners did we leave on base? Right? I mean, we pitched pretty well. We got our, we got ourselves into a few scuttles, you know, uh, in defensively, but we were still in the game, right? And, and and but then you go to JMU, where you just win this big midweek game in Baton Rouge, and in the first game, you let the bullpen basically choke it away. You were up by one or two runs in the ninth. The bullpen just collapses. And then Saturday and Sunday, you don't even show up. Oh. You don't even show up. You just get blown away. And so that's in the beginning of the year. If we're if you go to Houston, let's say you go one and two. As long as in those two games you competed and you went toe-to-toe with those teams, I, I mean, there's really nothing to complain about because you know it's only going to get better from there. I just want to see these teams compete. You know, some of those losses we had last year, even as an at-large, we lost some of these games, and it just looked like there were some games I'm just like, with all this talent we have, how are we not even in the game? You know?
1: Some of it, like Nick said, it's chess pieces, and you got to figure it out, or puzzle pieces. you got to figure it out. But we're looking at Houston. We should be looking at Wright State. We're going to learn a lot about our team against Wright State. And look, if Jason Morgan goes out and gives up six runs before he uh, gets an out, people are going to lose their minds. Oh, this guy, y'all said this guy was great. It's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. Gunnar got lit up a couple times his freshman year. It's going to happen. The, the thing is, is that they got to run him out there. They got to season him. They got to see what they have, who's the dude, who's not. You know, you had a guy like Connor Angel coming here from Canada. He had all the stuff in the world, electric this, great fastball, natural movement, yada, yada, yada. He couldn't get out of his own head. He was throwing balls six feet outside of the catcher's box. Poor guy couldn't throw a strike. It was bad. So throw a It doesn't matter how much how much talent you possess and how much it you know i don't care if you are all state this that or the other this is this is the show this is d1 baseball friday night opening the teague in louisiana all right that's you throw everything else out the window we're going to learn a lot about this team this weekend and that's exciting because obviously it's first game or the first series but you know looking at houston's gonna be fun as fans yeah sure can't wait to play vanderbilt and TSAP, gonna be great but this team needs to be worried about right state because Wright State probably will win the Horizon League. And Wright State has been good for a long time. And Wright State had a damn good team last year, and they bring back most of their team. And they're going to hit the baseball. And we can't walk in there with our eyes anywhere else but Wright State. So, look, two more sleeps and we're going to find out.
0: Friday night the Teague is going to be a lot of fun. Put me in, Coach. 2024 season is back. I know it's an innuendo, but I'm fired up. I don't know. I, I, it's it's great. I, I'm ex- I, You know what I'm excited about? You know, we complain about fan attendance. We complain about lack of fan support. I'm excited because I know the teague's gonna be rocking this Friday night. And it's gonna be rocking all weekend. People are gonna show up.
1: It's funny you said that. I I bet the administration is just so happy that baseball's starting because it'll give us less time to complain because we're gonna be talking about baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, there'll be people there'll actually be people at the games, you know, so that'll be nice to see. And I know there's a lot of excitement, especially look, this is the first time in a long time since twenty sixteen. Or no. Since no twenty fifteen, where we've had two consecutive postseason appearances. So there's a lot of expectation that comes with that. And finally, finally, I think we it's safe to say that this is you know, we said this last year, but I feel it even more this year. This is really Degg's program. This is really Degg's program. Look at what that. he's done with his staff, look at what he's done with the way he's built his team. You could definitely tell the team that that's been built is really like really Degs' team. I mean, this is his fourth full season. Uh, discounting the COVID year. So you're really seeing it and and you can see it by the way this team plays. I mean, the way they played last year played with a lot of grit, you know, when they were competing and when they were on, they were unstoppable. So hopefully, you know, look, it's a 56 game season. There's a lot of baseball to be played. I'm with you, Josh. You know, I'm not going to freak out if, like you said, if Chase gives up five or six runs, he's going to, he's going to mess up every once in a while, Uh, as long as I see the team, as long as we see the team competing and battling to the final out, that's all you can really ask for. So, this Friday night, baseball season officially begins. Wright State comes to town again, Friday, first pitch, 6 p.m. You can watch uh, two of the three games on ESPN+. Plus. Once again, listen on 96.5 on Friday and Sunday. Saturday, there will be no TV. Uh, 105.1 will carry that game there. And then following this weekend, the Cajuns will travel to the Chuck to take on McNeese on Tuesday night before coming back to the teague for next weekend series as the rice owls out of the american conference pay a return trip from last season when the cajuns went down to houston so it's here guys baseball season's here very excited about that uh i believe i don't know i, I know nick's not here right now he had to step away for a second but josh uh you and i will be at the teague friday night um looking forward to uh to just enjoying the, the atmosphere, it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Hundred percent. I mean, it's the best time of year, dude. Uh, you know, yeah. weather's starting to get warm again. You got yeah, you know, golf weather. Baseball starts. Lots of stuff going on. But but you know, you mentioned McNeese. McNeese people are turning their nose up at McNeese. McNeese has a quality club. They always play as tough in baseball hell. They beat Degs last year. Uh, so so that's something to look forward to midweek. And then Rice. You know, they've been not what they were. You know, for much of the 90s and 2000s, but Jose Cruz has that thing turned around in the right direction. They're better. I'm not going to say they're great, but they're better. Uh, that's not a that's not a program that you can sleep on. I don't care how bad they've been recently. Uh, Nick saw Rice up close and personal, and he can probably tell you that they've got some things going right over there. So I expect Jose Cruz's team to come in there and be competitive. And uh, we... we can't look past them. Again, it's fun to look at Houston, and I, I am excited. But you can't look past these next you know six games, seven games. It, that would be a huge mistake.
0: No doubt. No doubt. And it starts on Friday night against Wright State. So... Baseball season's back. Uh, Also, again, once again, thank you so much to Mr. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball coming on the pod. Uh, Nick and I were able to pick his brain a little bit about the uh, upcoming Cajuns baseball team. If you get a chance, uh, it is on YouTube as well as uh, Twitter. Uh, We do have the link up if you do want to hear Kendall Rogers' thoughts on uh, the Cajuns baseball team this year. Everything you need to know, the guy's a walking encyclopedia when it comes to college baseball. So it was truly a privilege to have him on with us and uh he is always welcome back he is a, now a friend of the pod and apparently he's Nick's neighbor down the street in Houston yes we're
2: best friends now because he he lives close by so we're going to be grabbing some beers at uh at the classic in a couple of weeks hopefully uh, if that all works out
0: that's fantastic again you can uh if you want to go check it out listen to the Kendall Rogers episode again it we do have it posted on all of our social media platforms okay moving on to softball uh now cajun softball officially underway uh the season officially started last thursday night in the louisiana classics tournament uh louisiana went four and one on the weekend with two wins over chattanooga one win over cal and one win over new mexico of course the cage is dropping A heartbreaker in the rain on Sunday against Cal in their rematch. We will get more into that in a second. Uh, Last night, the Cajuns on Mardi Gras Day traveled up to start Vegas, Mississippi. Took on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Didn't play so well. Not, Not quite up to par of what we expected. Cajuns dropping two straight to the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Game one, losing nine to one. Game two, losing two to one. And you know, to your point, guys, about baseball, right? It's early in the season. Um, obviously we didn't want this type of start right now. Louisiana softball sits at four and three, but there's still a lot of softball to be played. Uh, I'm not quite hitting the panic button yet. I do think as far as our bats go, I was expecting a little more umph from our lineup. Um, really haven't been hitting the ball as well in the last three games, especially yesterday. And I think the pitching, Uh, You know, one thing I was concerned about was obviously Sam Landry is the main pitcher coming back that we all know she's the veteran, but I'm expecting the other, the other pitchers to step up. It's still early in the year. Haven't really seen it yet. Um, And look again, I'm not ready to panic yet, but at the same time, you're going to want to have to get, you want to, you're going to have to get the ball rolling soon because this weekend Cajuns host Baylor. Baylor will come to Lamson Park uh, this weekend, three game series. It doesn't get much easier, so um, yeah, it's frustrating. I wish the bats would get a little bit hotter. Uh, at the same time, look, Shelly Landry, the new hitting coach. I'm sure there's a new, maybe a new philosophy they're learning. I don't know. I know uh, Coach Justin Robichaux wasn't too happy in the circle. He made a visit yesterday in Starkville, and let's just say he was uh, had a little bit of Tony in him. He kind of let the pitchers know how he felt uh, with the performance, but. I mean, look, it's still early in the year, but at the same time, you know, I expected to at least take one from Mississippi State yesterday. I mean, the first game, look, we let the game get away. Second game, Sam pitched a good game, but we had runners in scoring position twice. We couldn't score, scoring one run in both games. I mean, you're not going to win many games scoring one run, no matter who you play. So, you know, look, it doesn't get much easier this weekend, guys. Doesn't get much easier.
2: Yeah, and, and look, there's a lot of expectation on this team because you made it to Supers last year. And and I mean, I can't remember the last time this team went on a three-game losing streak. I mean, it may have been years since that's happened. So yeah, there's a little bit of concern. And when Coach Glasgow comes out and says, I think this is a top 15 team, you expect them to go out and beat Mississippi State, who was projected like 11th in the conference this year. They they Mississippi State, according to... Their own coaches in the SEC don't expect them to be a great team. Now, they could end up being a a, a fantastic team. But again, you feel like it's early in the season. There's some gelling that needs to be done. But there's there's a little bit of disappointment there because there were a couple of times where you were in a position to win against Cal, against Mississippi State. You got ladies in scoring position. You don't move them across the plate that that's uh that's not great early in the season so again there there are things that need to be cleaned up there uh still you know everything is in front of this team for for their goals for the rest of the season but when we were talking last season about hosting and and how the committee used it against us that we were playing really good teams but yet we didn't beat them it seems like we're starting to turn in that 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 trajectory again. And we don't want to do that. We can't give them any excuses to hold us back from not only, I mean, pretty sure we're going to win the Sunbelt, but, but just to say, you can't give them any excuses not to put you in the tournament or host. If you, if you feel like you're deserving to host. So we got to clean things up. We got to get better offensively. Pitching's got to settle down behind Sam early in the season, not panicking yet, but again, like we saw last season, That committee will use anything against you, and they may come back and see this three-game losing streak and say, well, they didn't do so great there, so this is a reason they
1: can't host this year. Agree with all that, and I saw some of our fans were upset because we dropped out of the top 25. Can't lose to Cal and Mississippi State three times in a row and expect to be in the top 25. Mississippi State, by all accounts, is very average. Cal, yes, they were a regional team, but they lost a lot, and they didn't do anything all that impressive to me. We run ruled them the first time we played them, so that ought to tell you a little bit. Um, but but the same trends as Nick mentioned, can't you can't get a clutch hit, you can't push runners over the plate with less than two outs. Uh we're still making boneheaded errors, very sloppy in the field. When we did the preview a couple well, well, that was last week. When we did the preview, I said we've got to get better defensively in the infield because it costs us games early in the season. We're doing the same things. I mean, it's it's a carbon copy almost. And against ca- similar, some similar caliber uh, opponents, which is mind-boggling. But, you know, you look at Sam, you look at her performances, you got to say, wow, even in the loss to Cal, good. You know, even in the loss to Mississippi State, good. She needs help. She can't do it all. But it seems like she's taken that step forward that we discussed. She, I mean, her mix of pitches has been good. She's been very consistent. She's throwing strikes. Uh, her rise ball looks even better than it did last year. And she throws hard. She always has. So that's good. Uh, I thought Ria had looked up until the Mississippi State game. I thought, you know, nice little uh, beginning for her. Lears is banged up. You got some newcomers that are still figuring it out. Ellistad has her ups and downs at times. It's concerning. I mean, saying to hit the panic button after seven games is absurd. However, I, I you know, the people that follow this, the softball program will tell you it's a lot of the same concerns they've had over the course of three, four years with Jerry. This is a lot of the same stuff. Can they grow into a super regional team? I mean, if this team is a mirror image of last year's team, sure, it could happen. Still got a lot of softball to play. And look, I don't know what time they left. Maybe Did they go to Or or I know they played yesterday. Maybe they went to LundyGraw, maybe a little hangover, you know, who knows? Uh, But I know this, they have an opportunity against Baylor, similar to how they had last year, they have an opportunity to get to play Baylor and, and redeem themselves. And uh, you know, if you're going to do it now's the time you got to get those out of conference wins. Now is the time. If you think that you're going to host, I don't want to hear in three months, Hey, we should be hosting. Well, you got to win these games. You got to win these games. Maybe Mississippi state jumped up and bit, bit them fine. Uh, it's a double header. It's on the road. First, first trip of the season, all that, that all plays into it. I still think that there's some concerning things again, brand new season. You never know. So, Take care of business against Baylor. We might be having a different conversation next week. Uh, but they got to get these out-of-conference wins. They have to. That They don't have a choice. They have no margin for error.
0: Well, the problem is that it doesn't get much easier in the non-conference. I mean, again, you play Baylor. You turn around and you play a Baylor team that's really good this weekend. And that's not... That doesn't, And that's not discounting having to play Oklahoma. That's not discounting having to play TSAB. That's not discounting having to play other teams that went to regionals last year. I mean, I think they played 10 teams this year that went to regionals, so it doesn't get much easier. Um, but with that said, I do expect the with the expectation of this team and this program that these girls are not just going to just throw their hands up and say, oh, well, woe is us. We're going to get better. And I expect them to compete this week. And I actually expect them to turn it around. And I expect them to win the series against Baylor at, at Lampson. So um, we're gonna see what's gonna happen. But I, I just I think right now, like you said, we can't afford to lose games we're not supposed to lose, especially if we want to host a regional. Again, uh, you know, May comes around and we're two C getting sent off to Baton Rouge, you know. You look back and wonder why. Well, you look back at the last three games and you say, Well, maybe that's why. You know, if you can find a way to make up for it, great. But you 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 accumulate these losses and you add up these losses. You know, come come May, you're going somewhere else. You're not hosting the uh, in Lafayette.
2: Yeah, and I think you just leave less room for error down the road, right? Because you're gonna drop a game you shouldn't at some point. And I think when you're dropping these games early in the season against competition like Mississippi State or, or Cal, then you leave yourself open when you drop those games you're not supposed to later in the season. So I think that's the biggest drawback to to losing to a Mississippi State right now or a Cal is that you can't really make that up later. Like, if you drop another game later,
1: then that just all, it kind of builds upon itself. And it's unrealistic to expect him to go on a 30-game winning streak. You know, I know that there's been times where we've had absurd winning streaks, but you can't, it doesn't matter who you play. After a while, the game will catch up with you. You know, there'll be a ULM snafu, or there'll be a McNeese loss, which, by the way, McNeese is really good, and we got to play them a few times in, in softball. But you can't expect these girls to, win, to rip off 30 in a row and say, well, you know, we we should be hosting now. That's not how it works. You got to get these these high RPI wins. Got to have them. It's not good enough just to play them. You got to beat them if you expect to host. I mean, that's a fact.
0: Yeah, and uh, so the good news is is they got a chance to redeem themselves starting this weekend. So Cajuns, three-game series. You Veterans Field at Lamson Park against the Baylor Bears from the Big 12. Friday, first pitch will be at 6. Saturday, first pitch will be at at 4. And on Sunday, they will round out the series at 12 noon you can catch all the games on ESPN plus listen on 103.3 or 1420 a.m after this weekend series against Baylor the Cajuns will travel up to Ruston to take on Louisiana Tech uh that will be next Tuesday that first pitch will be at 6 p.m you can also watch that game on ESPN plus and listen on the radio on 103.3 or 1420 a.m so moving on, uh, we're going to stick with softball, but we're going to move on to another topic about softball, a little bit more of a controversial topic, if you will. Uh, for those who don't know, Friday, the Cajuns hosted Cal. Uh, I believe it was the third game of the weekend series for Louisiana. Um, and before the game started, they were, we always play the national anthem. Well, six Cal players decided to take a knee they knelt for the national anthem during the national anthem, uh, about, I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 20 Louisiana fans started yelling at them during the anthem, basically saying things like stand up. And I believe according to this article out of San Francisco, they were screaming liberal wokeness and some other things thrown their way. And so once the anthem was finished, uh, both teams went back to their dugouts well you can hear actually in the video nick that you posted after the national anthem was done uh half the crowd was applauding and then half the crowd was booing the cal team as they were coming back in the dugout and then the cal coach came out and started instigating the crowd even more and riling them up and riling them up even more well later that day the cajuns took care of business they run ruled cal game was over fine But little did we know the media pushback that caught on to it was a lot heavier than we expected. Now, I'm going to just let everybody know, at Region Review, we are apolitical. We don't really talk politics much. We stay out of that kind of stuff. Usually, we try our best to keep our personal opinions on these type of things to ourselves and as a podcast, try to stay away from it, mainly because our main point is we're here to talk sports, we're here to have fun, and we get enough of that type of distraction Uh, when we leave this platform, right anywhere, anywhere you turn on the news, social media, you're going to hear it. You get tired of it. There's a little bit of overkill and fatigue, but there was an article posted on, I believe, I think it was either Monday or Tuesday by, uh, I don't know if it was a, a magazine or, or some media outlet out of San Francisco that basically, and I quote the, uh, title of it was, uh, six Cal players harassed by our fans. And so I read the article, and you know, they mentioned the things like, you know, our fans yelling at the t- at six of the players who were kneeling for the Anthem for Cal. Um, and they were yelling those quotes. And then after they also said, and 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 they followed the fans followed with booing, booing the team, as the head coach for Cal was trying to rile them up even more. And so that's where we at Rage Review decided to kind of stick our nose in here and just say something about it because it has something to do with our fans. And we felt that that article pretty much tried to paint this picture of our fans and you know where I'm going with this as ignorant and trying to basically trying to demonize our fans. So, I'm just going to say this. And and I'm and I, I don't know if I speak on behalf of Nick or Josh or, or I'm going to try to my best to speak on behalf of Raging Review, okay? We are very adamant on speaking our opinions. You hear us all the time, right? There's going to be a lot of things we say that could be controversial, or there's going to be things that we're going to say that people may frown upon at times, but it's just how we feel about certain things, whether it's about the administration, the program, whatever. There's going to be some things that are going to be quote unquote negative. Okay. But it's our right to say it. It's our first amendment, right? And we, we freely say it if it's on our mind, as long as it doesn't, it's nothing personal. Um, but in this particular case, whether or not you agree, now I'm just, I'm just, we're just going to say this. Whether or not we believe it was right or wrong for the crowd to boo doesn't take away the fact that it's their first, there's a First Amendment right and their freedom of speech to allow them to boo or allow them to yell. Personally, do I think it was appropriate to yell during the national anthem? No, I don't. That's just my opinion. I, I, look, after the anthem, if they wanted to boo, they can boo. Just as much as I believe that. If you want to kneel for the anthem, regardless of my point of view, it there's nothing against the law that says you can't, right? At the same time, and this is where we came out with with our Rager of tweet freedom of speech works both ways, whether you agree with it or not. Whether we agree with the fact that our fans were yelling at the players or not, it's still their right. And so that's where we came out and said, look, the world's not a safe space, all right? It's not. If... If the players felt offended that the crowd reacted the way that they did, well, I mean, that's just the way that it is. You take a stand, people are going to counter sometimes. And so that was kind of my thoughts on it. Um, And that was kind of our thoughts on it. And look, we we got some pushback on it. But for the most part, I mean, I think a lot of people agreed that, look, I mean, freedom of speech goes both ways. You know, you have just as much of a right to kneel, but you also have a right to say, I disagree with you kneeling and vice versa. That's all. That's all we said. And of course, some people got a little personal with it, but I think that's a fair assessment. What do you guys think? Right? Yeah, look, and I'm with you. I mean,
2: personally, I would have waited till after the anthem to say something to them, and I would have been very loud uh, about it and obnoxious. But I've said it before, I'm not going to tell a fan how to fan. If, if you're caught in the moment, and look, we talk about having an older fan base. Mr. Frank Babbin bless his soul, back in the day, if you didn't take your cap off two seconds after that anthem started, he was yelling, take your cap off. And nobody got offended. Nobody went into a screaming session. Nobody played the victim. And I think that's the problem I have out of all of this is that the the newspaper in San Francisco tried to portray these poor cow players who took a knee as victims. Well, if you're going to take a stance against something you got to also be prepared for other people to speak against your stance. So you can't play the victim if you're putting yourself out there. And you also can't play the victim when your coach comes out and starts yelling at the crowd and they yell back at you. Oh, poor them. Oh, I can't believe these people yelled at him for doing that. Well, you put yourself out there. And so, again, not my preference to yell during the anthem, but there are a lot of veterans. We talk about having an older fan base. There are a lot of veterans that serve for this country in wars that were in that crowd. I don't know if I had served in Vietnam or another war, how I would respond to somebody doing that if I thought it was disrespectful. I may have, if 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 I'm the older gentleman or lady in the crowd that had to that that lost friends in the war, I may respond in the same way. You don't know their life or their story, their history, or their anything that they've gone through. So again, that's the biggest pain point for me is that they took a knee and then want to be the victim. You don't get to be the victim. Once you take a stand, you got to take you. If you're going to, if you're going to say what you think and display what you think, you got to be ready for other people to say what they think as well. There was nothing derogatory screamed at him. Nobody was cursing at him. They were telling him, Hey, stand up, California. You know, I didn't hear anything on that stream and that was a pretty hot mic that said anything about woke liberals. Now, could somebody have said that? I wouldn't be surprised. But again, nobody's being, being, cursing at him. Nobody was, was calling them names. They were just, they were, there was back and forth. You invited it by doing that. And then the coach coming out and taking a knee, trying to, again, the biggest problem I have is playing the victim. You don't get to play the victim in this case. I'm sorry.
0: Well, I think freedom is, again, freedom of speech and expressing your first amendment goes both ways. I mean, look, like I said, you have every right to take a knee for the anthem. I'm not gonna sit, sit there and yell at you, but at the same time, somebody else might, and that's just as much as their right to oppose you taking a knee as much as it is you taking a knee. I know it's a very sensitive topic to say it, but it's the truth. You know, I'm not I'm not stopping you from doing from taking a stand, but don't be surprised when when there's people out there that oppose your stance. And the thing that gets me about this and all of it, this is Cal Berkeley we played. Cal Berkeley is, is the epicenter that started the free speech movement of the 1960s. They were the place and the college and the center and the epicenter of a place that said, speak your mind, take a stand, fight fight for your rights, speak your, say what you have to say. Don't be afraid to, to give your opinion and shout it out from the rooftops. And then they get mad when our fans do exactly something that they've been championing for the last 60 years they, they they started this movement because it's not what they agree with all of a sudden now they can't do it no you you're the one who started of taking a stand just because it's not something they agree with you on doesn't mean they can't do it this is not again freedom of speech in the first amendment is not a one-way street as long as you agree with it that's not how this works again was it in bad taste to do it during the anthem yeah probably so but that doesn't mean you demonize them booing after just because it's not something that they agreed with. Again, I look, whether they I don't whether they booed or not, or whether they, the players kneeled or not, it has no bearing on me. Do what you want, but don't get upset when there's a consequence of people disagreeing with you. People are gonna disagree. Look, there's people that disagree with Ranger Review all the time. not gonna we're not gonna shut them out we're gonna let them speak say what they say what they want to say unless they really troll and get personal then we'll just you know but i mean that's the point of free speech again a college that started the free speech movement should know this but i think the
2: perfect example of do as i say not as i do is the fact that cal berkeley refused an interview with the the news 15 guy in lafayette but goes and and gets quoted by their San Francisco newspaper because they don't want they don't want to be challenged. They just want to to push their view and make you look like a bad guy cuz you don't agree with it. That's the culture that's where we are. Like your your opinion is the only one that matters. We got to get better as a society, man. There used to be a time where people could talk back and forth and you agree to disagree, but it seems like now it's just like you either agree with me or you're the bad guy. And that's that's not how we should be doing it.
1: As the the lone veteran on the pod, I would like to say bravo to our fans who stood up and yelled at Cal Berkeley players during the National Anthem. I'd like to also say um, I am proud to be part of a community that speaks up for their convictions, and they weren't harsh enough. They should have said more. I didn't hear any cursing. I didn't hear anything. I I heard stand up, stand up, stand up. These people should be ostracized because they told disrespectful little brats entitled jerks to stand up i don't see the problem you got our you got our radio guy agreeing with these idiots that's what they are they're idiots i don't understand that because it's always our fans fault doesn't matter what we do it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how good we do it doesn't matter it's always the fan if you're a cajuns fan you can't do anything right that's that's some people's mentality here but anyway What I find very interesting is if you go back and look at any Cal games from last year, there was no kneeling. You look at the games from the year before that, there's no kneeling. They only knelt when they came to the deep south. They took a knee, and then they escalated it by treating the players as victims, and then the coach came out and mocked our fans. But the story is not the jackass coach or the sissified players. It's not that. The story is those fans yelled at those poor little girls. Can you believe that? Those ignorant Southerners. Jack legs. That's how they talked about us. And TV's Will Heron tried to get the interview, like you mentioned, Nick, and they didn't want to talk to him, of course. They wanted to run back to San Francisco and get their their uh, attack piece done. And it was terrible and horribly written and all this other stuff. But I read about two paragraphs and couldn't take any more. Um, I, I, just, I thought it was interesting that they didn't kneel for two years, and all of a sudden they come to the Deep South and they got something to kneel about. I just think that's hilarious. You know, this culture, like, like was mentioned, has lots of veterans in it. It's, it's a place where a demigod here, a baseball demigod in Mr. Moore, who we named our baseball program after, uh, our baseball uh, facility after, would not allow a second to go by if you, as a grown white man, by the way, who want to get race involved, because a lot of this has to do with race. We're not talking about that yet. But grown white men, he'd walk, to, walk up to them and not politely tell you to take your hat off. This is somebody who's revered in our community. That wasn't in the article, was it? We have convictions here that are still very, I mean, they're tightly woven into the fabric of the culture. And that's part of the story that nobody's talking about. If I were to take a Trump flag and go to the West Coast and fly it, I would be attacked viciously, maybe physically, but certainly verbally. At that point, do I, do I get to cry victim? Because that's what they did. They came to the South. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly that they were going to get a reaction. And and then they became the victim. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. So it's very transparent to me, and I'm sure others. But I'm glad that our fans took a stand. I'm glad that they spoke up. And and the point that you guys made about it, they shouldn't have booed during the anthem, it didn't matter when they booed. It would have been a story regardless. If they would have waited until after the anthem and booed, oh, that would have been a story. It... it Nobody, you know, why didn't Cal wait to kneel until after the anthem if they wanted to show some respect? Well, that article didn't. Well, what I'm saying is, is why is it why is it the reaction that always gets the bad press when the actual when the first when the initial action is really the the story here? They knew they were being disrespectful and they were doing it on purpose. That that's that that's the thing, and and the, and then you guys talk about you know. You can't have differing opinions, can't be challenged. They've, taked, they've taken this Marxist stupidity and they've turned it into fascism. That's what it is. It's my opinion. If you don't like it, then I'm the victim and then and you're bad and, and, and I'm good and we we can't have an exchange of ideas. That's what fascism is. But they've taken that, that they've taken the Marxist ideals and they've turned it into fascists. That's
0: what's going on. And, and Josh, I don't mean to cut you off, buddy, but I just want to make a point about Razor Review. Before anybody sees this and tries to say that we're partisan on these issues... 2020 very sensitive very uh touchy subject happening in the summer of 2020 right the rioting the protests the wrong uh, you know the whole George floyd incident right and, and in August of 2020 uh, a few of our student athletes decided to march for social injustice in the name of social injustice to fight for their rights okay and look there's a lot of people in the community that weren't happy about it and it was a very confusing time. You know, you had COVID and there was just a lot of, lot of racial issues and all that. And and just, you know, there was a lot of injustice, social injustice out there. So again, our players and some of our coaching staff decided to go march along Cajunon Boulevard, down Johnson Street, went by the police station and by campus to, to march for, for social justice. And look, it was frowned upon by a lot of the community. It was. It was it was hard to see, according to a lot of the fans. They weren't happy about it, and there were some fans. You no, know, there's some people that are. A lot of people agreed with it, but there were a lot of people that didn't. And at Region Review, we basically said, "Look, and Josh, and I'll, I'll credit you for this because you were you were really, you know, very vocal about this. Sit down, just let's sit down and have a civil conversation, and let's just listen to what they have to say. Let's just listen to what they have to say." Because at the end of the day, the biggest problem with society today, whether it's what happened at Lamson on Friday or what happened in the summer of 2020, the sad part about society today, and this is not a partisan thing I'm about to say, and it's a little personal with me, but nobody wants to sit down and have a conversation. Nobody wants to sit down and say, okay, how are these ideas, how are we different and how can we fix it? It's that sense of tribalism that has created this division amongst people and nobody can sit down and have a conversation anymore. And it's hard to see. And so that's one thing we did in 2020. We, we were like, look, if you disagree with why they're marching, talk to them. What's bothering them? Why are they upset to get up and go march? Let's hear what they have to say. Let's listen to them. And I'm going to tell you, look, some of the opinions of people that listened to us weren't happy about it. But at the same time, I would rather sit down and have a conversation with people than to start screaming on the other side and saying, my team's better than yours. And then what happens? Nothing gets solved it gets worse. You dig a deeper hole.
2: Well, Jerry, nobody wants to have a conversation with you because that turns into a two-hour lecture. But anyway, <laughs> that's beside the point. But but what I was going to say is the, the, the problem is that people need to listen to each other. Like, okay, I'm going to listen to you, but also listen to my side. Look, I subscribe to very liberal and very conservative news sites because I want to see what each other's saying and then Same make thing make an opinion for myself on what I think. Right. And I think that's what that's what people need to do is take both sides. Look, I have to, I've weighed both sides of the issue in this case. I understand what they're kneeling for. I understand what what we were yelling about. And I came up with my own opinion. And that's what you need to do. And, and again, the, the, the biggest problem I have is the victim mentality. Poor me. You yelled at me. Well, then don't. Do something that you know is going to get a reaction. You, you can't. You can't play both sides there. You gotta. If, if you're going to go for it, then you got to expect what you're going to
1: get. Well, you got to look at the motive. The motive is obvious. Okay. I I'm probably the most liberal one on this podcast. I've been called a liberal a million times by people that got mad at me for supporting the players, which by the way, they marched on MLK Remembrance Day. That detail always gets left out. I still support the march. I still support the players. I still support the reason behind it because I really believe that it was altruistic in this particular scenario. What is not altruistic is kneeling when you're on scholarship to play softball at Cal Berkeley. All right, you are not oppressed. In fact, cajun people are an oppressed people we've been oppressed our entire entire existence as a a civilization we've been kicked out of multiple countries you're talking about descendants of people that understand what it's like to be exiled we are actually oppressed we have been in poverty our entire existence in this country pretty much our entire existence on this planet so don't come to my baseball field or my softball field and take a freaking knee you entitled brat who was on scholarship to play at cow freaking berkeley you are not Oppressed. And if you want to say that you're a symbol of oppression because you're a female, there has never been a better time to be a female in this country or in this world ever in the recorded history. So you're not oppressed there either. I don't want to hear it. And this is coming from the liberal on the podcast. All right. So it, it just, it just reeked of entitlement. You don't understand. Again, it's a lack of fundamental understanding for what you're kneeling for. And then when the coach came out of the dugout and mocked our crowd, I knew exactly what was happening. It's very easy to see. All you got to do is pay attention on what they do, not what they say. So it, it, it got raveled into this whole thing, and people start arguing, and they lose sight of the details. The fact of the matter is, is yeah, sure, have a conversation, but you can't talk to these people because they've made up their minds. They went two years without kneeling, and all of a sudden, it's, it's necessary now because they take a, a trip to the Deep South, and they know it's going to get a reaction. And it became bigger than the softball game, and that's a shame. You're showing these these kids what they are, 19, 20, 21, 21 year old kids. You're showing them that this is the proper way to behave as a young person in America. And, and that is a way bigger problem than losing a softball game or competing at D1 level or any of that stuff. So it, it just turned into a fiasco. Was it the most classy way to deal with, with this kneeling incident by yelling at them? Probably not, but who cares? One of the funniest things about this Marxist movement that we have in our country is that people expect to punch somebody in the face and then that person turn around and say thank you. That's what we that's what we expect here. They want to tell you how they're going to protest but they're not going to tell you how to protest the protest. You know what I'm saying? Like the shit has it, it's just it's out of control. It's it's utter chaos. I wish we would have played victim, though, because
2: we could have easily gone in on Sunday and said, you know, Cal Berkeley coach uh, verbally harasses umpire and gets tossed and then catcher verbally harasses team and gets tossed. Yeah, yeah, that was that was just, you know, skimmed upon in the article. You never heard anything about that. We lost the headline battle. Yeah. yeah, but we're harassing because we're telling you to stand up and respect the people who serve for our
1: country that are sitting in the stands right now as you speak. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and as again, if you've served the country, you know what's so funny? All these people taking knees and all these people agreeing with them taking knees. None of these people serve the country. You ever, ever find that interesting? None of these people actually served. They never did anything to give back to the country, but they want to shit on the country every time they get the opportunity. And I say that as a person that understands not everybody has the same experience in the United States of America. We have a checkered history. But, but again, you're talking to a politically oppressed people, uh, a financially oppressed people. We have not been given the greatest opportunities since we be- became Americans in this country. Look, we, we can all tell our stories. Nobody is the same. I understand that there is injustice in the country. I totally understand that. But y'all are missing the point. There's way more class warfare going on in the country than people oppressing women or minorities. There's way more of that. You're totally missing everything. You want to kneel at a softball game? You've done nothing. All you've done is generated some clicks for a, a, a rag out in, in San Francisco. That's all you did. So, so you didn't do anything. Your symbol was was it was lost. There, nobody nobody's getting anything larger uh, out of you kneeling at a softball game than what it actually was. It was it was. You did it to get a reaction. And you got it to a certain degree. But I'm I, I standing ovation to the people who told them to stand the hell up. Because that's what they should have done. Ungrateful brats, stand your ass up. That's it. I'm done. Well, anyway.
0: So I'm guessing we probably, they probably won't be back for another tournament anytime soon. It's safe to say. <laughs> and look, again, again, freedom of speech freedom of expression, the first amendment, even if, even if it's in the ugliest way possible, even if it's bad in some ways, as long as it's not breaking the law, it's fair game. It's fair game. So that's our stand on it. Um, you know, it's, it's a shame that it did overshadow the game itself. Uh, and, um, you know, look, you want to write that article, but at the same time, you don't want to talk about how their, and I think, I don't even know if it was in the article or not, but how their assistant coach got thrown out and then their catchers tried to start a fight with one of our players and started actually, you know, getting her Dukes up before getting thrown out the game. That was a footnote. By the way, getting the Dukes up, that's a, that, damn, getting you getting are fistic- a boomer.
1: <laughs> fisticuffs. Hey, if he just said fisticuffs, bonafide. Yeah.
0: Fisticuffs. Yeah.
1: But it's just funny it shows, how that. It shows you their true motive. It shows you who they are. I was glad when that happened because again, nobody talked about that part of it, but it shows they're instigators. The coaches kept coming out and bitching about every little thing. The players were just disrespectful, like on the field, not even about the the, the anthem, just the way that they were, the way they existed on the field. They, they mocking, were jerks.
2: Mocking our UL, all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, oh yeah,
1: I forgot, I forgot about, about, that. about that. They were doing
0: the no. UL, they were mocking our UL symbol. I forgot about that. Oh, and then also there was a rumor uh, Saturday, all of the teams that participated were invited to buck and johnny's in brobridge the restaurant they have the zydeco breakfast right everybody knows about the buck and johnny's zydeco breakfast and it's you know you get to go and listen to good live band live zydeco music get some good breakfast dance do some cajun dancing and it's 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 i mean if you're a tourist coming in you go to that every team got invited guess who's the one team that didn't show up
1: berkeley that's what i heard that's what i heard so (laughs) marxist communists (laughs)
0: anyway well guys um that ended with a bang but uh, again softball back in action against baylor they'll travel to tech next week
1: and why are we uh, treating communism like it's a a cuss word i mean it's so it's
0: it's i mean it, it look i it is what it is um the fans spoke their piece I know people weren't you're happy about Jerry it. Jerry squirm so hard. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, look, it He's is Oh, no, Look, it, I, I just, I, like I said, I look at it like this: if if you're going to take a stand, don't be upset when somebody takes a stand that may be against your stand. That's the lesson of uh, of all of that. So
2: I'll say it, Josh: screw
0: the commies. How about that? Well, I mean, no place for him. Go away. Anyway, guys. uh, baseball season starts on Friday night. I'm fired up. I know you're fired up. First pitch at six o'clock. Any final thoughts before we go?
2: No, it's been a wild week. Ready for baseball to get started. Ready to talk about some fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, Like baseball and get back into the groove of things. Going to try to make it out this weekend. Plans to be there Saturday and Sunday. So I will, uh, I will probably wear my Astros hoodie just to piss people off and let everybody know where I'm at. So if you see the Astros hoodie in the stands, you know, it's me.
1: Uh, as always, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your guys' show, you know, to work that in. Uh, thank you to everybody who made Camille's cookie sales uh, for for uh, brownies uh, a hit. She did great. She crushed her goal. So uh, uh, shout-out to Big Cat on his first bow hunt this past week. Did great. My man was a trooper for six hours, sat in a freezing cold deer stand. So just want to shout-out the kids for a, a good week. And, uh, man, I'm so excited to open the tee on Friday. Can't wait to get out there and smell the smells and hear the songs. So. Looking forward to seeing you, boys.
0: Going to be a lot of fun, and we'll uh, we'll all hang out and uh, have a good time. Uh, that's going to do it for tonight. One more time, thanks to our sponsors, Dr. Brett Venable, Recovery Chiro Med, and Absolutely Embroidery and more. Go check them out. They support local. They support the pod. Let's return the favor and support them. Also, don't forget, UL, NIL Collective, the Crew Alon. Do what you can to help our student-athletes. And also... Don't forget, we got basketball, men's and women's basketball this week. We've got softball. We've got baseball. Lots of raging Cajun athletics going on down here on Reinhardt Drive. Whew, it's been fun. But, hey, baseball season is back, and we got softball. So the Diamond Sports in full swing starting this weekend. You can also, if you like what we do, please like, subscribe, comment. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitch. You can listen on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. Nick will have this episode up as soon as he can. And that's going to do it for tonight. We're the Rage Review Podcast. For Nick, for Josh, I'm Jerry. In the words of the late, great Big Dave Thibodeau, bye, we out of here. See you next week for more Rage Review. Goodbye, everybody. Tell who has the guts to come in the rain tonight. Don't care about the rapper because we make our own boots You don't have what it take the they shoes. See, it's just a crowd pleaser uh, on the run to leave. You're the first myth for making enemies with we'll these soldiers. So Turn your back on the-